The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Dominic here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the 49th anniversary show and the first few nights of the New Japan Cup, answering your questions and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to keeping it strong style on the podcast app for your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pearls and Tea store, prosandtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Ah, uh, man, I'm doing very, very well. You know why? Why? Because I had a tweet that was received well <laughs> in the wrestling community for the first time ever. <laughs> I told everybody that uh, you know if they're if fireworks are what they're looking for, then uh, the new Japan Cup has those aplenty, and uh, people for whatever reason seem to really like that tweet. I don't know. Well, I, I think you you reach the hearts of a, a certain fan base. Uh, you know, I think there's a demographic um, that I could actually probably appeal to if I want to you know go that route. There's there's a gimmick here. Yeah, there's a certain camp of uh, New Japan <laughs> fans. I think you know you definitely you won them over. You got, you got over big with them with yeah, that tweet. All, all 22 of them. <laughs> oh man, well yeah, we, I rolled deep, dog. <laughs> it's great. We have an explosive uh, episode here for you guys this evening as we uh. Speaking of explosions, ah, there goes a truly. The best thing about these AEW pay-per-views, it's it's not the pay-per-views themselves. It's the drinks that get left behind here at the dojo afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> they keep me, you know, nice and lubricated for these podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Well, got some shows to talk about. Let's uh, jump into stuff. So first, we had the 49th anniversary show. Uh, last Thursday, which also kicked off the beginning of the New Japan Cup. So, yeah, bro, this has been. Let let, let me just address this first. There have been so many shows in such a short period of time. 
I think this is, uh, we should just give a disclaimer here. Uh, did you watch the undercards of these New Japan Cup shows? I, I watched. I watched the full 49th anniversary show, but for the standalone New Japan Cup shows, I did not watch any undercards. I watched a couple matches from the undercards because, you know, I I, I cherry-picked. But overall, I was not watching... I think this is the first time in the illustrious history of this podcast that we've elected to not watch any of the, like, uh, undercards. Like, you know, uh, well, maybe for G1s. Uh, I think there might have been a few G1. There might have been some G1s. But, like, <laughs> but for the most part, like for New Japan Cup, we've never done that. Right. For sure. I mean, this is crazy. You know, we had we literally had the 49th and then what, like the next day? Next day was, yeah. Yeah, and the New Japan Cup basically started at the 49th anniversary. So we had like one, two, three, four. We had the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. And then today there was another show. So basically five shows back to back to back it's crazy and plus you know we, we watch other wrestling we what we had we watched uh, revolution on sunday as well i mean uh, i did watch that but i really don't watch other wrestling like that's right. the thing like people always hit me up like you see this noah show nah you see this uh stardom show nah you, see, you know i'm yeah I, I still i haven't seen the the 10th anniversary stardom show which i heard amazing uh, reviews about you check out the one nation radio that it's a separate standalone episode reviewing the anniversary yeah, show. Yeah, I didn't like that because I started the show and I was like, okay, cool. They're excited about this stardom show. It's, you know, they're going to review it. And then like halfway through, I realized like, oh, they're only going to review <laughs> this stardom show. And I was like, uh, click. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Living the gimmick. <laughs> Happy Women's uh, Appreciation Month. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, though, like, I actually, I would like to check out that show. I don't really watch Stardom. Um, it's, it's not even because, you know, uh, I don't like, you know, Joshi. I, I do like Joshi. I just, the time constraints are crazy. Yeah, man. A lot, a lot of stuff going on, you know, in our personal lives and in the wrestling world. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with everything, man. But we'll still do our best here to give you the best coverage of these New Japan Cup matches. And, of course, well, I, I got an, I have an excuse. Like it was my girlfriend's birthday weekend, so I was busy. I mean, I don't know what you were doing, dude. I was working. I, I was working <laughs> from like six in the morning on Saturday, and then I had a buddy's engagement party. It was it was a crazy crazy weekend. Man, you need to prior, you know, restructure your priorities, man. <laughs> uh, so, oh yeah, I was gonna mention, yeah, New Japan Cup. You know, our contest is going on. You can go to sportprowrestling.com slash kiss to check your rankings and standings to see. Where you are in, in the competition, uh, a little bit over a hundred people in the in the contest. Now, now here's the thing: Chris thinks he's slick. He he went ahead and uh, did this contest for multiple people. Well, guess what? I entered all of them, and you know what else I did? I went full hard. Same bracket for every single competition. So I'm either gonna lose big or win big. You know, I put my money where my mouth is, and by money I mean no money, <laughs> just just my entries. Um, I'm sitting at like, I got three wrong and 13, right? No, no, no. 10. We got another three matches coming up, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting at 10 and three and I think I feel very confident. I'm going to end the first round 13 and three. You know where you're at? Yeah. I have a 10 so far. Correct. In the first round. Mm. Um, and then we'll see what happens with these next three matches. But essentially my, my bracket's pretty much blown up with, um, Shingo, uh, we'll talk about it here in a second. Chingo defeating Okada. 
uh, blew my bracket up because I had I had Okada in the the final four in the finals. I had Okada Osprey as my final. So I thought you were a Kojima fan. You need to start using some Kojima math and you know <laughs> tell yourself like it doesn't matter what I've lost so far. I might still win this thing. Hey, it's true. Other people's brackets could blow up down the road. Yeah, so you don't know what's going to happen. We'll, we'll see what happens here. I've got a bold bracket. I got Jeff Cobb beating evil. So <laughs> that, that is bold. I mean, I hope I hope it happens. I want that to happen, but we'll see. Which which means we got an Ocon Cobb interpromotionary or interfaction <laughs> In, match coming yeah. up. Let's let's uh let's talk about these shows. Let's. You want to start with the 49th anniversary? Yeah, let's start with the 49th anniversary. Was this the the least? Anniversary feeling anniversary show we've covered on this show it felt like that to me. Yeah, uh, it, it felt just kind of almost like a standard, just kind of you know, New Japan Road Corkin show. They weren't at Corkin though; they were at Budokan, right? Yes, which is not what they typically run for their anniversary show. Yeah, either. Normally, they run the Oto Ward Gymnasium, right? Uh, in in celebration of that being where they had their first show, um, that. You know, gymnasium does, I think, like 5K, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't really... Now, here's the hard part. I don't know what parameters are in place right now with the uh, state of emergency because I saw the news that some of the prefectures were opening up things and then some of them were not, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know what's in place and what's not in place, so it's hard for me to tell, you know, what numbers are good, what numbers are bad, what when they're running, why they're running, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to analyze numbers in the pandemic era. Um, it's, it's just hard to do because, like you mentioned, there's, there's restrictions. You just don't know people feel safe about going. There's just so much that goes into the details. Like you mentioned, different prefectures have different rulings. And so, yeah, it's, it's just really hard to analyze in the pandemic era. And it's almost a waste of time, honestly. Yeah. But uh, the nice thing here, this 49th anniversary show, is start off with, uh, you know, your standard preview tag matches, uh, we could probably run through them. There wasn't a lot here. Um, Gabe Kidd, Hiroki Goto, Master Wato, and Tomoaki Honma, they defeated the Suzuki Goon team of Doki, Suzuki, Tai Chi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Quite a few New Japan Cup, you know, um, first round matches that were being previewed there. Uh, match was fine. Uh, the second match of the night, we had the Bullet Club team of Chase. Owens, Evil, Jay White, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori with Dick Togo and Gato. They defeated the team of Finjuice, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Rizuki Taguchi, and Toa Hanare. Uh, some of the talking points came out of here. Juice Robinson's new look. Yeah. I actually like the I like it. I like his physique. He is in ring shape. Like, this is the best physique he's had in, since, like, his match with Mox at... The uh, Super Juniors like two years ago, you know, so that's great. Yeah, I like I like the Afro. I I, I don't like the Afro. Now I I like the Afro because I see it like this. This is basically like the second um, transformation of Cell. Like it's not my <laughs> it's not my favorite, but I we're getting closer to what I know is possible. You think he's gonna? He has uh, another form in it, dread back up. I think he is going for the dreads or or something along those lines. Uh, but the the look is dreadful. I mean, he's got a jet. He's got literally a jester's attire on and a giant afro, which tells me he's a clown. <laughs> and and I think that's a sign of things to come for this tournament for him. But uh, as far as far as his physique, I think he's just he's in between. You know, like you know, Tian might be able to beat him right now, but 
in the next form, that shit's not going down that way. This <laughs> yeah, man's gonna, yeah, yeah. We're going to belt this man up again. So, yeah. um, The big talking point coming out of this match, though, was post-match Toa Hanare really showing a lot of like fire and, and going after Jay White and having to be held back. So that, that kind of seems like the, to be the big program being built out of this, really. Yeah, building up for their first-round match that's coming up. Uh, third match of the night, chaos team of Okada, Sho, and Ishii. Defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo Takagi. Um, quite a few, you know, preview matches there as well. Um, and that pretty much does it for the, you know, multi-man tag undercard. Yep, so then we had the first round action in New Japan Cup. The first first round match was Jeff Cobb, the hatchet, defeating my man Satoshi Kojima. 11 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, that was a great way to kick the tournament off. Very hard-hitting uh, matchup here. Cobb, just freaky strength, throwing around uh, Kojima. A lot of great near falls. Uh, you know, Kojima had pinned Cobb uh, the weekend before Castle Attack with the Lariat. There was a point in the match where he hit the Lariat with the left arm, not well, not with the strongest arm, got a great near fall there. Uh, but ultimately, Kojima would fall to toward the islands. You know, um, Kojima, you look at the string of big singles matches he's had the first three months of this year, um, the Kenta match, the Will Ospreay match, and then this Cobb match. I mean, he's kind of low-key, like, building a little bit of a, a resume. It might even be at this point of the year. It's probably not going to last, but right now, maybe like a, a wrestler of the year candidate, like possibly. Uh, if he'd put some of those matches together in the same month, we could even be talking about like a wrestler of the month sort of, you know, category for this guy. Yeah. Um, Jeff Cobb's kind of in the same position. Uh, just, you know, performing at a consistently high level in New Japan. It seems that this uh, heel turn has really reinvigorated him. And this match was really great. 11 minutes. They didn't overstay their welcome. This was very hard hitting, very fast paced. Uh, exactly what I want out of these two guys. And, you know, I, I don't think at this point Kojima should be um, going life and death with, with Jeff Cobb, but he gave him a really good test, gave him a very exciting and compelling match. And, um, yeah, I was super into this. I thought I thought this match was awesome, especially for the time. Yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of urgency from Cobb, I think just based off of, you know, being pinned by Kojima um, at Castle Attack, and he kind of wanted to get the thing over, but Kojima wasn't going down that easily and kept fighting back and fighting through uh, Cobb's offense. And and the big thing there, too, is he defeated him with the Lariat. Um, looking back over, like, say, Chris Samsa's stats, in singles matches, Kojima hasn't, like, defeated someone without using that Lariat in years at this point. Right. Um, that was kind of highlighted during the KOPW uh, tournament when he wasn't allowed to use the right. Lariat against, against uh, Despi. Desperado. So... Um, that, that's always sort of like his game changer if he can land that. And that was kind of the story here. And unfortunately, he was never able to fully, fully get, you know, the strongest lariat on him. Hit him with a couple variants, that sort of thing. But uh, right. Jeff Cobb was just too much for him on this night. Hit him with the tour of the islands and, uh, you know, picked up his first uh, big win here in this year's New Japan Cup. Yeah. Then we move on to the second first-round match that we had this night. It was the great Okan pulling a big upset here, defeating Tetsuya Naito by referee stoppage. And I really enjoyed this match. And, and not just so much for the the in-ring action, more of the, the character development that we saw from the great Okan. And, uh, you know, Naito was kind of taking it easy, making mocking Okan, making fun of his pose, 
and kind of, you know, fooling around with Okan towards the beginning of the match. And Okan was just kind of cool, calm, and collective. O- Okan was tranquilo uh, kind of during Naito's, you know, making fun of him, all that stuff. And then it just brought the pain to Naito throughout the match, targeted those injured knees, uh, and just looked really good here in this match. One thing, um, there have been quite a few guys over the past few years that have leaned heavily into the character work aspect of, of you know, their wrestling character. And, uh, you know, they've been a pr- sometimes praised, sometimes kind of hated on for that. Um, but I would say at this point, I don't know if there's anyone who's maybe Hiromu, maybe Hiromu over the past like four or five years. But I would say maybe not even him has been able to kind of tap into a character on the level that uh, Okan has. I mean, he just, in every aspect from his social media to his interviews to his ring presence in the ring, out of the ring, like he really has cultivated this, you know, dominator, great Okan persona. And uh, he's extremely confident in it, which is... Starkly different from, say, like, Master Watto, you know? Um, And, yeah, I think probably the closest comparison we've seen over the years would be, I mean, I think it's beyond where Jay White was at the same time. Mm. I think Jay White grew into his character and figured it out over time, but, uh, and he he had a grasp, too, but it took a year or two for him to really get his his bearings. Um, Hiro was the only other guy that I could think of that came back from Excursion and knew exactly who he was and had figured it out. And I feel like, from a character aspect, that's where Okan was. What I liked about the... First off, I have seen... I've heard some bad things about the match, but generally speaking, in the rest, in the New Japan wrestling community, I think this was received very well. Yeah. Um, And Chris Charlton sort of... Ah, man. He, like, was telling the story on... Um, <laughs> on the... Uh, did you get to hear any of the English commentary? I did for some show. I'm trying to remember if I saw this show English. I think I might have watched Japanese for this show. Well, he he like basically laid out. It, it was sort of like when um, <laughs> it felt similar to like when Russo used to give predictions on the pre-shows for WCW, and he mm. booked the show, and he and he would he would predict the people that he booked, and it would be a dead ass giveaway because he never wanted to look like someone who didn't know. Yeah. So like to put himself over. I'm not saying Chris was trying to do that, but like Chris is like being like, I don't know if Naito's heart is in this. He's just he just <laughs> lost the double gold. <laughs> he's like, you know, and he's just, you know, talking about like the the mounting injuries and you know, what really is the point of him winning it because he just had a shot at stopping the title unification. Now the titles are being unified and his entire like all, all that energy that he had put into the uh, castle attack match against Ibushi, that kind of went flying out the window. And so he was like, you know, he's not in the right frame of mind. I just don't know if he can get it done. And I'm like, I don't think that's the what you should be saying here. Like, <laughs> I think you should be creating plausible doubt so that when uh, Okan beats him, it's like this big shock, you know. But uh, I think Chris was trying to a little bit look like the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Ocon, you can mention that dominated gimmick. Just he dominated Naito throughout this match. Essentially, this was almost in a way a twenty-minute squash match. Like Naito did not get much offense in. Ocon was just brutalizing this man with his power. I mean, Ocon when he hits you, it just like, it's like somebody's gonna hit with a truck. His his power moves are so great. His, he has his, awesome power. His strikes moves. his Mongolian chops, and then just focusing that offense on uh, Naito's knees there until he locked that submission in and. 
he had him locked right in the middle of the ring. There was no Naito couldn't get to the ropes, and Red Shoes had no choice but to to call the match. Yeah, I I thought that was the, a great way to go. He didn't obviously beat him with uh what is his finisher the Dominator. The Eliminator. The Eliminator, okay. Oh, the, yeah. The Claw Chokeslam. The Claw Chokeslam, okay. Um, you know, he didn't hit him with that, so there is a little bit of an out, you know, but at the same time, I mean, it's hard to argue with somebody, you know, getting stopped or getting choked out, you know, right. off of a submission. Um, and like you said, this was almost completely Okan. I mean, uh, Naito kept trying to get back in it, and the, the character work was just great. Like, you know, from the very beginning, Naito just mocking him and mm-hmm. doing all these poses and just not taking it seriously. And like Okan looked at no point like a man that was shaken, intimidated, or, you know, dismayed by what, right. He was like, when he got, at one point we got thrown to the outside, he was kind of like laughing it off. And then he got in and just yeah. like turned it up. <laughs> he just, he just came in and like, he came with the game plan. And he just fucked up Naito. Yeah. And then, um, at the end of the match, at the very, very end when he won, yeah, he, he start- turns around and he starts doing the tranquilo poses and yeah, all that starts shit. starts mocking Naito. And I was like, oh, fuck. He's got <laughs> his number. Yeah. Uh, that that was great. You know, we I think in the past we've been kind of accused of being like wrestling nerds and like snobs, like uh, work rate snobs, you know, and, mm-hmm. and guys that only like the in-ring aspect. And it's like. Well, we're sitting here giving a lot of praise to a match that was essentially a prolonged squash match. Uh, the last time I can remember a match feeling like this uh, to to any real degree was like maybe Brock Lesnar and John Cena from SummerSlam mm. all those years ago. Yeah. Um. So I liked this, and I liked that it was a different pace and style. I was shocked. I mean, I, I had Naito going through. I thought I had sound logic, but they're clearly giving the push to uh, – um, Ocon, I don't think I think this busted a lot of people's brackets. I don't see Ocon going all the way necessarily. If he does, he has to go through evil. Um and I feel like if he or, go, or Cobb. I don't think he's gonna go through Cobb. Um who so he basically has uh Well actually he has Yano next. He has Yano next. Which is a match he can win. He can definitely he could lose it too. Yeah, yeah. And he'd be fine if he lost that match because it's Yano. Right. But he'll probably beat Yano, likely, and then probably end up against Evil. And so, I mean, he'd have to be Evil and then probably Shingo, too. It's possible, but, I mean, if you're doing that, all that, I mean, they're really... I mean, That's like literally strapping the rocket on him. We're talking about possibly having that conversation that other people are starting, you know, I think maybe maybe they are quote-unquote ahead saying that he's the true leader and Osprey's not, which mm. maybe, maybe they could po- uh, potentially be calling an audible based off the work he's been doing. But um, I, I feel like this is more of a rehab than anything else based off the two big losses he took to Tanahashi, and I don't see him going past the third round. Yeah, I mean, a good first two rounds would be good for him and kind of help establish him as a singles guy. Beating Naito establishes a narrative. He doesn't right. need much more at this right. point. And then you have a built-in feud right there. You've got a lot of big shows coming up. You could run back a, a Naito Okan match or some of the stuff that's coming up. And I, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'd be excited for it. One thing, though, uh, and I want to talk about this. So, you know, we've talked about the knee injury with Naito. Obviously, there's reports. We'll talk about it of Okada having also a back injury, you already kind of let the cat out of the bag that he lost his match. Do you think that these calls were made because these guys are hurt? 
Um, or do you think it's more like this was always the plan and they're just sticking with the plan? Because that's what I would probably lean towards personally. Yeah, I I feel like, you know, we, we keep talking about this new era being started and with the new titles being, you know, brought in. And we're seeing this like this. This is a new era of New Japan. And I think they know that, that they have to start going with some other guys besides Okada and Naito, and they need to get some other guys over and create some new stars and kind of make the people want Okada and Naito more. And so I think it was a great way to, you know, show that, hey, we're, we're going from other guys. We're really trying to work on the future by knocking out Okada and Naito with guys like with uh, Shingo and Great Okan, two guys that are not often in the, you know, the main event scene or been giving. I mean, obviously Shingo's had his great matches, had never title run, but he's never been He's never had a tile shot, and so putting you know two fresh guys potentially in the main event scene that opens up the doors for some new matchups and k- kind of saves Okada and Naito too. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I really dug this. I thought this was a great way to kind of kick off the New Japan Cup. So let's uh, let's talk about what is reportedly and possibly the last ever IWGP Heavyweight slash IWGP Intercontinental Heavyweight. Championship title matches. Uh, we got uh, Desperado, the junior and junior tag champion, challenging Kota Ibushi. Yeah, and uh, Despy was seconded by Tai Chi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Came out with the the black and gold mask, kind of the, the big fight feel championship uh, gear here for this matchup. And you know they did a great job, you know, with the back story of this match and um, explaining, you know, Desperado. Facing Abushi for the junior title when he first kind of came back from excursion, and you know it was a short turnaround to to build up this main event in this match, and so it was cool that they were able to you know pull into that backstory to uh, help build up this match here on this night, and you know story of the match here, uh, and this was kind of told throughout commentary as well, was that you know Desperado was not facing um, a junior heavyweight Kota Abushi anymore. And this was a, a bigger and harder hitting Kota Ibushi. So throughout the match, uh, Desperado had to weather the storm of of a heavyweight Kota Ibushi uh, with, with his striking. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, Desperado still a junior, still a bit faster. And so Despi had to had to use his speed and had to try and slow down Ibushi, work on the knees, which we've seen, you know, in the Naito match, and you know, people have started to kind of. Pinpoint Kota Ibushi's knees, and so Desperado working on on the knees throughout the match as well. A lot of great uh, strikes, a lot of great exchanges, uh, great spots. I, I really uh, liked uh, the story of the match and the match overall. Uh, it, it did the one thing that did hurt. I think everybody going into this match knew that Desperado had no chance of winning this match. I don't think anybody was expecting any kind of upset, even though there still were some great near falls. But it was just. Um, very hard to believe that Destiny was going to get the win here. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was kind of a given. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why historically for these anniversary shows, we don't typically get, uh, you know, a ti- an actual title challenge. Um, I'm more in favor of them doing the title challenge just for his like for historical purposes. Plus, you know, it gives a boost to the champion um, having a defense under, you know, why not? It, if, if it's going to be a big main event and a, uh, on a big stage, why not just make it for the belts? You know, right. it, what does that hurt? 
but I, I could see why some people would be against it for the reasons that you just kind of laid out. In this case, I think because it was Desperado, and I think because it was Budokan Hall, and it had a four-day build, they I think they needed a little bit of that extra oomph or hook to try to sell more tickets. Yeah. Draw more attention, which wasn't a bad thing. That's, that, that's a good idea. So, um, plus, you know, with... The entirety of the uh, the belts going, you know, going away and being merged into this new lineage, you know, you you could also book it as the the last time, the last hurrah for these two belts, which you know was fine. Uh, I thought you did a great job, like laying a lot of the stuff out there. I thought the match was very very good, um, even though there was that sense of, you know. Desperado probably can't win here. Mm-hmm. I liked that they really leaned into the story that Abushi is coming off of a recent title match where his knee was, you know, focused on, and that kind of gave a target for Desperado being the junior, but something that he could aim for. Plus, considering what is the name of his the uh, numero dos, the numero dos. Okay, I, I didn't want to call it two or dos because I wasn't sure if that's what it was, but yeah, his uh. Stretch muffler finisher focuses on the leg exclusively, and it's a, uh, you know, it's a leg submission. So that was sort of the story was him, you know, trying to soften up the leg. I mean, it's a simple story, and it, it worked very, very, very well. Right, and we've seen with the numero dos, once he locks that second hand in, it's been almost, you know, he normally gets a stoppage or tap out from that. And so he got very close to getting that locked in on Ibushi several times, but Ibushi able to get to the rope every time. So that was kind of a great near submission stuff there. Yeah, I, I thought even though, um, you know, there was criticism about the attendance of this show. Um, and like we kind of discussed earlier, I'm not trying to make excuses. If if the attendance numbers were poor, you know, by all means, have at it. I don't have the uh, the the insight to really tell you how well or bad they did because I don't even know. Well, I think the big thing is, you know, like Stardom did about. 300 more people than they did sure. in Budokan, and I think the Noah show did a little bit more than them as well. So people are kind of throwing those numbers out there and seeing like, oh, look, those two companies drew more than New Japan. That's fine, yeah. And, I mean, that's great for those companies too. Uh, I think that those were bigger shows, you know, uh, if you just look at how long they built those shows. Mm-hmm. They built the, both of those shows similar to the way that, like, New Japan I – w- I wouldn't say quite Wrestle Kingdom, but maybe the way – Historically, they'd build like say a Dominion, you know. Mm-hmm. It's on that same level, maybe. And you could even maybe say uh, a Wrestle Kingdom for in the case of those two companies. So uh, I'm not that surprised, you know. I, of course, I think like a a hair versus hair, you know, white belt match in Stardom, given you know with Julia or whoever, you know. Yeah, t- Julia and Tam. I think it was for the red belt, actually. I think. Or was it? I or, didn't think it was for the red belt. Or maybe it was white belt. Maybe I'm mistaken. The red belt's the main belt, right? Yeah. I didn't think they had the rib. I could be wrong. I don't watch that product. But then also, you know, um, them doing Shiozaki, who's coming off of, like, this career best, you know, year, uh, defending the title against, uh, you know, Muto. That, I mean, I could see why both of those outdrew this, you know? I'm not right. surprised at all. Um, I guess where I was going, though, before I kind of got caught up in that is um, there was criticism about, the attendances and I, I don't have enough insight to like say one way or the or the other about how bad this or good this was but as far as the ambiance I mean they they brought the lights down low I thought the crowd seemed super into these last couple matches I thought it was a good crowd 
Um, and you know, Budokan's one of my favorite buildings, and so I, I, I really dug this sh- the the last half of this show overall. Yeah, the starting with the New Japan Cup matches. Yeah, everything I thought was really well, and I really enjoyed this main event. And I saw, I saw some people kind of criticizing it just because you know it was Desperado and. It was very predictable who would win, but I was still like four, four and a quarter on it. I, I'd probably go the same. I also, but you know what? There's a growing contingency of fans that are just really, really into Desperado. And I think that that speaks to, you know, the job that Hiromu and him did together in the same building back in, you know, November, December, whatever that was for the Super Junior Final. And then, you know, they've kind of leveraged him to another position. Plus all the opportunities they gave him last year, you know, in the New Japan Cup and challenging for the Never title and, you know, in the best Super Juniors, they really have given a lot of shine and focus on Desperado. Um, And, you know, I think we've always been fans of his. I don't think I'm as big of a fan as many others are. Um, But this was was awesome. I I really, 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 really enjoyed this. And my favorite part was post-match after... Uh, Abushi beat him, and then you kind of see like um, the different side of Tai Chi as he comes in and he like kind of like lovingly like caresses <laughs> the mask of Desperado. And as they're like, I I watched the post match and they're they're in the back, and he was like, "You have nothing to be ashamed of. You should be proud right now." He was like, he was like double champ, triple crown champ. He's like, he's like, you are Tenru, or he's like, you're Jumbo. <laughs> And, like, because he has all three, you know, the junior titles and the, the IWGB title. Dude, yeah. And, like, he's just, like, be, like hyping him up, you know, over the performance he had. So I, I thought that part was cool. If if there was ever a group of guys, like, out of all the stables that I think you could, like, write or, you know, create a, a compelling anime uh, around, it would have to be... Fucking Suzuki, <laughs> like they're the they're the best. I know other people probably think would probably say like Lij or some shit, but I think that they're, I think those are guys more like they're they're surrounding characters. The guys with the real depth that you can like really like dig into. That's Suzuki Goon. Yeah, and uh, one thing I liked, one encounter I liked was at the end where uh, Bushi was going for the Kamagoye and uh, Despi reversed it into the Numero Dos. I thought that was a great. Uh, counter right there and a great kind of leading to that final kind of near submission there before Abushi could come back hit the Kamagoye to get the win yeah if you haven't seen this match I would highly recommend it uh go out of your way and check it out big recommend for me yeah definitely recommend uh we did have a question here from reddit user why did you do that bro does it rub either of you the wrong way the last ever IWGP heavyweight championship match didn't include some like Tanahashi or Okada but El Desperado I like Despy, but the booking in the match itself was so anticlimactic for the final match ever for both of those belts. They should have just had Jay Ibushi be the last match. Uh, I mean, for me, there shouldn't be a last IWGP or last Intercontinental title match. So I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, seriously, because I think it's a, I really think it's a really terrible decision. Um, it, and we had a pretty spirited debate last week, me and Chris Samsa. If you guys didn't check that, you know, you can go back and check that. I think there's a lot of great points that were made there. So, you know, at, with that being the case, like, no, I, I don't care, you know, that this was the last, you know, big, big match for both those belts. And I mean, if you're one of those people who buys in 
to the mythos or the way they're marketing it that this world heavyweight title is the spiritual successor to those two belts and will carry within it the lineage of those belts, then you shouldn't care anyways. Right. Essentially, it should just be, you should see it as just a continuation. Be, right. Which Kota Ibushi tried to play that off in the post-match comments. He was saying, you know, people are so you know, mad with the title, but he's like, they're, the two titles are coming together and the new title is going to continue the lineage of both those titles, what Abushi was trying to explain. Well, here's the thing is like, um, I guess we can get into some of this discussion. So there's a few different ways of looking at it, and I'll explore a couple. One is you could say you don't want to continue either lineage directly because then it devalues the other title, right? Mm-hmm. But very clearly, one of these belts is more prestigious and has the, the lengthier run and has been positioned as the higher belt in the company. I think it makes all the sense in the world to hypothetically just fold the intercontinental lineage into this one and continue. You can you can change the name to world if you want. That's fine. But just continue that 1987 Inoki lineage to now. You know, I right. don't see why they couldn't have just done that. I, and I don't even see why they couldn't retroactively go back and just do that at this point. Like, we still we still probably got like a month or so before they actually even unveil the new title. Right. Who knows? They could, they could always change things up. And I mean, because I mean, the key thing they're saying is that Bushi's going to be the first world champion, which I think is what's throwing people off and the whole thing where they're dropping the lineage. But I mean, they could always, they could always change that and say, yes, we are keeping the lineage of it. Well, think of it this way. Chris Jericho was the first undisputed champion, but they continued the WWE or WWF lineage. Right. Yeah. Same thing with like, uh, when Randy Orton became the became, WWE World Heavyweight Champion, yeah, yeah, same thing. So I I don't see why you couldn't honor the person, give them the accolade. You know, they're the guy. You know, I remember when Ferns. I mean, this is different, but like when um, Samoa Joe went to England with the ROH title and wrestled Zebra Kid, and then they t- they changed it to the ROH World Title because it was being defended across the the globe, right. He was the first world champion they had, even though the title, you know, dated back prior to him. Right. You know, to uh, who was the first champion? Was it Loki? I think. Oh, uh, I think so. I don't know. I, I forget. Either Loki or Xavier or Daniels, one of those no, guys. Xavier was number two. I don't think Daniels was number one. Daniels didn't get it till he was old. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we see that in a lot of companies where they, they finally get their, their belt defended in a different country. And then now ECW did it. Yeah, ECW. Um, Dragon Gate USA did it. Uh, TNA did it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we see that all the time. So, yeah, they definitely could continue the lineage and still call him the first World Heavyweight Champion. I mean, at this point, it's just an idea. They're, th- we, we have no knowledge that they're going to do that. I But based on what we've seen on social media, the comments and everything, uh, seems to be that the fans over on that side are also not really happy about this. What do you think about the rumors that they did that they knew when they booked this that it was going to get uh heat and that's why they went with Ibushi to be the guy to take the heat because he's you know because he's Ibushi and he's an outsider and a face and everything like that and they didn't want to put that kind of negativity on say Jay White or Ibushi or uh Naito yeah I've seen those theories going around I, I don't really well, it sounds like it's more I'm not saying it's uh true but I've seen um you know, more than just, like, theoretical. I've seen people say, like, this is... a fact, yeah. Yeah. 
for me, like, why would you be afraid to do that to Jay White? Like, he he's a heel. Like, it actually probably would have been perfect. Well, because I think you want it to get over is yeah. the idea. Yeah. Uh, I hope that's not the case because I feel like if if that's the way you're booking, you're doing it wrong. If if you're making decisions, you know, you're no better. You're no better than WWE at that point. Like having to rush off pay per view because you know people right. are not going to like. Honestly, I, I don't think they knew they wanted to unify the titles come mm. Wrestle Kingdom. Because uh, I feel like if they did, I feel like Wrestle Kingdom would have, should have been, like, uh, why did you why did you do that, bro? Mention Like, that could have been the great moment in the stage. Like, all right, that was, like, the last, you know, big match in the Dome, unified titles. I, I think we've seen for a year now, they had no idea what they really wanted to do with the titles. Possibly. I don't even, I mean, it's speculation. But you, you bring up, I, I thought, I had the same thought. I, go, I thought earlier, why couldn't they have just done this, uh, like, right out the gate? And right. giving it to Naito, you know? Yeah, I think they were still kind of up in the air what they wanted to do. And then plus, I think, you know, this whole kind of new era and rebranding, this was probably an idea that came up recently. They were like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We, we want to rebrand, make ourselves kind of look bigger with this world heavyweight title moniker. And But I think Ibushi was the guy at, at the time. Like it, it, now is Ibushi's time to, to run with him. And I don't think they solely picked Ibushi just to do this merger angle. Well, I think... Um, one thing is like a lot of fans, there are some fans who are more invested in kayfabe aspects of the company and they're like kind of almost blaming Abushi as if this was his idea. Now, maybe, maybe he did introduce it. I don't know. Right. Well, in, in kayfabe, in kayfabe he, he did. Right. But there's a good chance that this is just some, like this was the job that was given to him by the higher ups and he was told to get it over and he's trying to like inject some sort of like logic and respect into right. the story and he, he is, whether they intend it or not, he is kind of the guy left holding the bag. <laughs> right. And it sucks that it's him. But, you know, ultimately, I don't even think it's all about Abushi. I think it's just fans really love and respect this title, and they don't want it to go away. Right. I think that's the bottom line. Right. But yeah, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens as they, they move forward with uh, the double titles. Now, there was two huge announcements in the middle of the show that we, I guess we should discuss now. Um... Coming up on May 15th, there will be Wrestle Grand Slam, an outdoor arena stadium show that will be held at Yokohama Stadium. And then um, 14 days later on May 29th, Wrestle... Er, so, yeah, both... Oh, I messed it up. Both, I messed the name. Yeah, both shows are Wrestle Grand Slam. They're both Wrestle Grand Slam. Right. Okay. It's Wrestle Grand Slam at Yokohama Stadium. And then, and then at the Tokyo Dome. Right. Which this will be the first... Tokyo Dome event um, that's been held outside of the January 4th Wrestle Kingdom or just January 4th in general since like in 2016 years. Yeah, that's 2005, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then, that's crazy. And then first time ever for them running the Yokohama Stadium. Uh, and we'd have a lot of questions uh, about this big announcement here. Yeah, and I think there's positives and negatives to kind of really discuss when it comes to this thing. And I think there's a lot of also uh, kind of questions that are just up in there that we don't know a lot about yet. But we could definitely dig into it. Yeah, do you want to give our opinions first? Or you want to go into these questions and see if that kind of lays things out? No, we, let's just discuss it. So, I mean, um, my initial thought right out the gate was like, hey, the company is looking to do things to help the brand to do fun and exciting things. You know, why not run another Tokyo Dome event or a stadium show in the middle of the year? Because, you know, they're not going to be able to uh, 
sell out a full staff building or anything like that, you know, like a Budokan Hall or Ryogoku or anything. So running these bigger shows kind of helps maybe possibly recoup some of those losses. Uh, I don't know how much it costs to run these buildings, but I'm assuming because they're doing it and hopefully they're having prudent, um, you know, financial and fiscal, you know, responsible decisions that they're getting these probably at a fraction of the price and it's going to be provided they draw well, you know, very profitable for the company overall. And it gives, you know, the sort of the spectacle aspect of, of wrestling in Japan, it brings that back a little bit. And it's like, hey, you know, this isn't a Cork and Hall show in the middle of the afternoon. This is big time, you know, stadium show. First time ever in Yokohama. First time running in the Tokyo Dome outside January 4th in 16 years. These are big milestone events, possibly. I hope that's how people see it. I hope that's how they build it and it ends up being. So I think there's a lot of upside provided they do it right. Right. I, th- I think the – well, what we're seeing right now with, with in the COVID area, it's all about the, the number of shows you're running. Like you mentioned, they, they have to recoup. You know, they lost a lot of money last year. And so we're seeing – that's what we're, we're seeing, a high quantity of shows – because yes, you know you have the limited fans, and so you have to kind of make up for that with the quantity of shows. So you run this big building, like you mentioned, you're not going to be able to fill up the, fill up the stadium. You're not going to be able to fill up the dome. But if you get, I don't know, ten thousand for each show, that's you know that's a big house in this era currently going right. You know, uh, at the same time, I mean Yokohama Stadium is huge, and it's outdoor arena. We kind of saw what Jingu looked like last year. With like 5,000 and it, it didn't look great. It wasn't the worst, but it didn't look fantastic. And I, I'm pretty sure this is a Yokohama Stadium is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a soccer stadium, right? I think so. I could look into it. Uh, it might be baseball, but um, yeah, from what I understand, it's huge. Yeah, um, maybe baseball is because of the, the Grant Russell Grand Slam name, maybe. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I'll yeah. look into it. You, yeah. But either way, yeah, it, it's a big stadium. And. Okay, so it's not as big as I was thinking. It's like, it's a 34,000, I was thinking like bigger than this, like double. It's like 34,000 stadium. Uh, They do football, baseball, and other stuff like that there. Um, And I'm sure if you're opening up the field, which they would be, that probably adds a significant amount. So I'll just kind of estimate up like, you know, 40, 40, 40, 50,000, something like that. Um, So it is still, it's very big. That's, yeah. that's huge. That's a tall task. And like we mentioned, you have this on May 15th, and you're going right back to back with the Dome on May 29th. So I think that's my big concern. You got two big shows. And not only that, so after New Japan Cup, you have Sakura Genesis, uh-huh. which is a big show that you have to do a, a, a big card for. And then you uh, lead right into the, 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 Dontaku. the Dontaku and the Wrestle Hinokuni. Those are big shows. Yeah, this is that weird time of the year where they run multiple kind of like mid-level to bigger shows right back to back to back, plus all the Road 2 shows. So they're like kind of doubling down on that. Now, one thing I do like is, you know, we've complained about the two nights, right? You know, and so sometimes they're splitting these cards and we're not getting full-blown like, you know, top-level cards. We're getting them split in half, sometimes split in three. I'm pretty sure... Hopefully, I'm, I'm optimistic that they're going to have to do big, full lineup cards for both of these events if they expect to draw well. 
But but then the concern is what you just mentioned is like that's in the middle of Hinoki. Hinokuni, right Dantaku, in the middle of Dantaku, Super Genesis. After these shows, you have Dominion the next month. You got to have you know a big card for that as well. And it looks like based on the schedule that this is going to be pushing Best of the Super Juniors back. Uh, no, I don't think so because uh, normally this would be Wrestling Dantaku would run at this time slot, and you ha- you would have between. But usually, well, like May, May oh, right, the Tokyo Dome shows the 29th. Yeah, yeah so, so normal. they usually start around this time, and so we and we haven't heard anything about exactly when they're going to be doing Super Juniors. They could literally jump right into it right after this is over. Right, that's a possibility. It's also possible they might push it back till further in the year. Maybe they liked how everything turned out with the G1 and um and everything. Well, last I guess year. it depends on what they're going to do as far as size of the tournament and, and if they're going to do. Single block again, or try and do a double block, and try and get some guys in. A lot of tan- a lot of things that we just don't know yet, right? Because if they do a single block, they could probably do it between right after this Crystal Grand Slam before Dominion. So you still have the those the finals right before Dominion. But the thing that's not in question is this uh, this schedule that's been proposed. It pushes it back either one way or the other, whether right. it's you know short or long term. I don't know. So yeah, there there also is the concern that like. They don't have enough time to build one slash two really compelling shows that are going to draw big on this level. Um, and like you mentioned, Dominion's right around the corner. So, like, are they going to kind of forgo Dominion and sort of make that a lower-level card? Right. Or are we going to see for some of these April shows, are these shows going to be kind of not as big because they have to save stuff for, these, possible. for these stadiums and the Dome show? Yeah, I mean, we we were um, when they first announced this, I was like, okay, so th- if you're doing the dome and you're doing the stadium, you're talking about Wrestle Kingdom level matches. What matches are really out there that they haven't done in recent years that they could draw big on these shows? And I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, there's a obviously there's always John Moxley. That is a possibility, especially with him, you know, looking to sort of have been possibly maybe written off for the time being in AEW coming off the uh <laughs> off the uh the Onita match. Um that's that's one person that has a lot of compelling matchups, including like obviously maybe Okada, but you know, with, with reports that maybe Okada needs some time off, maybe hypothetically possibly Naito needs some time off. That's not looking so good. Um and then you think about the matches that you do have that are on the dockets, like what? There's Naito and Will. Yeah, that's a big one that they have not done that they've been saving for a long time. Um, for Abushi, I can't think of a a challenger that he hasn't faced. I mean, I guess you could go back to Okada, right? Uh, I think Okada, you know, challenging for his first World Heavyweight Title. Could be a big draw and a big deal. And that I, could be that could be the. Deal. I don't think they've done Abushi Okada to death. There's, st- I think there's still that match is still you can draw with that and make money with that match. Um, one thing to throw out there, and I'm sure I'm sure some people are going to groan over this, but it is a, a real possibility. There is Kenny Omega, you know, and I can't think of if if I were to think of the three big names in AEW that exist that if you wanted to do a big match, they all. All three of them basically already have the ability to work New Japan, and that would be Jericho, Mox, and Kenny. I I can't actually think of anybody else that's been built 
already that has enough notoriety and, and appeal that you could just port them in at this point, you know, with, right. with, with, a, with a few months to go. Those are the only three big names. And I'm not sure what matches specifically. I, I think of the three of those, Jericho has the least appeal right now because um, I think they've just done, they sort of did Jericho to death over the two-year period where he was really active. Right. I mean, I think the biggest would be that Kenny Omega Bushi match. We know that they've kind of been kind of angling for that in, in the way that in their tweets and kind of promos and kind of you know slightly hinting at each other and stuff like that. They're both the world champions of their companies right now. It's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Um. I you know, and it's and it's a far outside possibility. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, um. But I'm just thinking like, what else could they do? You know. Uh, they haven't done Tanahashi and Ibushi in a long time, so maybe there's that. Uh, obviously, you know, depending on how this New Japan Cup goes, I mean, I just I couldn't see Shingo and Ibushi going out there and like drawing a big house right now, like at least on this level. Maybe maybe he could. Maybe I'm discounting him a bit, but like, you know, with Hiromu gone, possibly Okada, you know, not doing the best i don't know this seems like a really precarious time to be doing big dome shows and so i'm just wondering how successful this actually will be um and also i'm wondering if they're getting themselves into trouble because what if renting you know these uh these buildings out isn't as fortuitous as we're assuming that it is yeah it's hard to know i feel like they probably had to get a deal because not a lot of Stuff I've been able to run in those buildings in the last year, and I'm sure those buildings need to recoup on, on money as well. And so, but like, what if, what if they're? That's true. But what if they don't have the manpower or the ability, the capability to draw big in those buildings right now, based on the global pandemic, based on you know lack of star power, you know, most of their big matches having been done, you know, extensively over the last few years. I'm just wondering, can they even? Can they actually do it? You know? Yeah. This we'll see. It, it's a concern of mine. Yeah. And I think it's a valid concern. Definitely. And we have a lot of questions. Especially with 14, day dip, 14 days apart. That's that's not a long time at all. Right. And we have some questions here that kind of dive a little bit deeper into this uh, topic here. First from Cool Scientist 1, which we kind of talked about. What matches do you see headlining the two Wrestle Grand Slam shows in May? Um, do, you, do you have any... Um, I think... I think the one you threw out there that I kind of alluded to, I think Okada challenging for the big title, that's a big deal. That would be a big deal, and I think they might even go with the title change, but, you know, with his issues with his back uh, really call everything into question. Yeah. I don't know how big of a draw it will be, but there's still, I think, some story to be told with uh, Bushi and Jay White um, and Jay getting another shot at Bushi. Well, you know... Uh, Jay White was like the hottest guy in the company for you know the first part of the the um, year without even like you know I guess technically having been signed, but then they brought him in and did the Ishii angle. Maybe they are getting ready to kind of gear him up for for another title challenge. So that is a possibility that that exists out there, and um, you know I I think he's more over than people give him credit for. Yeah. But uh, yeah, besides those, I, I, like you mentioned, I have a hard time seeing what else. Because like Shingo, I feel like if, if Shingo's getting a shot, it'll be Secure Genesis or, you know, maybe, you know, Dantaku or Hinokuni. 
I, I think we even sort of delved into, well, what's out there beyond New Japan domestically for them? And I was like, um, you know, who are the big stars that kind of exist in that stratosphere that you could maybe bring in? It, it, it would be somewhat unprecedented, but I, I was thinking, I was like, you know, Kento Miyahara exists in all Japan. I'm pretty sure he's alone there uh, in terms of guys that you could really do big business with. And then in Noah, obviously you got Kijimuto um, and Marafuji. And I, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think they've got some really great talent there. Kito Kiyomiya, Kino, you know, Sugiara. I, I always, I don't even know if I say that right, but. um. But those aren't guys that you're going you're gonna to put on the marquee to, to fill up a stadium or a dome. Yeah, Katsuhiko, Nakajima, like those guys are out there and they're great. And they're really, I mean, they're really, really, really good. I just, uh. I don't see New Japan bringing them in as showcase guys. I could see them bringing in Marafuji, possibly. I could, I could see them bringing in um, <laughs> uh, freaking uh, Muto. Muto. Mm. I guess, you know, Onita's out there, too. Right. That's a big name. I mean, he hasn't meant a lot in years, kind of like how Muto didn't either. But he kind of exists. And then when I think about the rest of Japan and, like, all the other companies that are out there, I mean, there's there's really nobody, you know. Right. Who you can bring in, like Daisuke Harada, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Shima. I, Sakamoto. Mochizuki. Like, yeah, Daisuke Sakamoto. Like, none of those guys really move the needle like that. Right. They could maybe partner with Stardom. Right. And, and, and maybe do some showcase matches if there's uh, any big matches, like maybe with... Mayu or something like that. That's that's the one untapped thing that they could do, and that would actually make more sense because the partner, or you know, because they're both both Bushi Road. But then again, like I don't know if they're allowed to even air air that stuff. So that's that's the 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 roadblock. Yeah. Uh, we had another question here from PCN ninety one. So with the Wrestle Grand Slam taking place in May, what do you think that means for the scheduling of the best Super Juniors? Do you think we'll see at the end of the year like they did last year, combining it with World Tag League? It's a possibility. I really hope they don't do that. I didn't, I was not a big fan of it. I'd much rather that they do it in the early part of the year, especially since we went through some slogs during the middle part of the year last year. Yeah, I think the only benefit, I don't want it to be combined world tightly, but the only benefit of doing it later is in a few months, things might be more opened up, more vaccinations. You might be able to bring in more, um, if, you, if you push it out, you might have more possibility to draw on a bigger scale, right? And bring more guys in. You can, you can bring in, bring in your Dragon Lee's, Banditos, and you know, bring in some Leo Rush. You know, bring in some of these U.S. guys, some some Gaijin guys into this. Yeah, I don't think we know the answer to this, but I think that you you bring up a great point there, Jeremy. I think you could also make the same argument for a G one as well, though. Right. So it, it's I, I wonder what they're thinking of doing. You know. Well, they're still because the, the Olympics. They're be, not. They're not. Okay. That's the thing. They they were going to be happening, and so the G1 was assumed to get pushed back again, but now that the Olympics are not happening in Japan, and I think Japan's going back into the uh, into the cycle, and like they're going to have to try and get it back down the road, which it could be years. You know, right. It could be like a decade. Who knows? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you could run G1, 
normal time and then run Super Juniors in the fall. They could run them together, too. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of, like, don't want them to do that because that just might be too much for me. Yeah. I, I liked the idea of it last year, but now that I've <laughs> gone through two two uh, <laughs> tournaments together in practice, like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> feeling it. Um, EMJ does PR as he said, let's get some discourse on the two stadium shows in May. If Dominion is still in June, how are they going to book all these bangers? Which I think we kind of, we Just kind of discussed it. I mean, but he's absolutely right. Like, with Don Taku, Dominion, Sakura Genesis, plus these two shows, that's five big, big, big shows in a matter of months, all before August, plus all the other shows that they're going to be doing are surrounding it. Right. That's, I, I don't know how they book it, to be honest with you. I, I'm not sure that I have faith in... Um, Ghetto to to do this. I think Ghetto's a fantastic booker. I think he's done a lot of really good and creative things during this pandemic. But I also think he's showcased some of his limitations, and all and not they're not all due to him. Some of it is just uh, you know logistics. But uh, I think he works best in the context of structure and and a, a well thought out game plan. And some of this stuff maybe they've been planning it for a while, but it feels like they're kind of just uh. Throwing stuff at the wall and see one sticks. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like like you guys, I I don't know. We'll we'll see how they what the cards are going to look like for these shows. I mean, we didn't talk about it last week, but like the Observer Awards came out, we didn't win anything. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, we're, we're trying to bring that up. <laughs> it's like the first, it's the first time in like you know it's years and years and years. It's like I don't know, 2013, 2014. Yeah, times are changing. Uh, got a question here from our user Dom Homie One Hundred One. Thoughts on New Japan running both Stadium and Dome show in two weeks span? Is it possible that New Japan could work with other companies like All Japan, Noah, and Stardom and AEW for these two shows? I, I think that that would actually. Now let's just imagine what if it is like they're all star shows. If they end up being all star shows, because that's what the Dome shows used to be, and there's positives and negatives to that because. Um, a lot of those, if you go back through the history books and you, you watch a lot of those January 4th, those early Wrestle Kingdoms, they kind of just exist in their own space. They're like a lot of showcase matches that don't mean anything after they happened. And they really were like a hard reset for the company every time they happened. Um, and I, what I like is most of what New Japan does has stakes, has reasons and purposes, and that's kind of unlike what modern day New Japan's like, but... I think there is room for every once in a blue moon doing something spectacular, you know, kind of like the old, uh, like the wrestling summit show between all Japan, WWF and new Japan, where, you know, you get dream matches and that could be cool. We've talked about them doing things like this before. And that might make sense in the context of like some of the things that happen on the show could, could lead into dominion, but a lot of it could just be, be a spectacular spectacle show right and if you do like big dream matches and you're saving internal matches for a dominion yeah uh, you know for instance just throwing it out there like here's an ex- who who's someone you would like to see adam page wrestle uh let's see do maybe hangman versus shingo okay perfect yeah you get a hangman versus shingo dream match you know and it, and it happens and it it 
it's definitely something that like when you know hangman comes back you know maybe excalibur's like man he had a great showing in the dome two weeks ago you know in a tough loss to shingo tagagi and then they just move on right you know, so they might talk about it but you know and it, this is kind of outlandish stuff it's probably not happening but like i'm just thinking business i'm like uh, maybe there's a ragtag group of guys that Tony Khan could like release for a month. I don't know who, um, but maybe some guys that he could let go over and do this shit. Maybe that would really like seal up this partnership sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, we know there's a lot of guys that have that in their contract to work New Japan. Also, there's familiar faces, like we mentioned, like Kenny, the Bucks, Hangman, all the, the Bullet Club guys that they could use uh, for for that show and. That are familiar with the New Japan audience. Yeah, and if they did do a big show like this and they brought in some some Noah or All Japan guys or whatever, at that point, if it's kind of billed as like a dream card, you don't have to have the biggest, biggest draws. You can kind of just, um, you know, I don't know, you could bring in Stinger and they could wrestle, you know, Desperado and Kanemaru. You know, right. You're just kind of building like these are matches that is one time only. Right. You're not going to see these matches again. And you know, we talk, you know, Kata used to say this in, in some interviews. He kind of wanted this kind of a big like wrestling festival celebration with all these companies kind of working together for one show. Yeah, you do. I, I remember he wanted to wrestle Kiyomiya. They're talking about, you know, him, him versus Kato Kiyomiya. Like that'd be really cool. Something like that, you know. Right. So who knows? I don't know. And then you're drawing from multiple fan bases, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've seen their willingness to work. I, I think it's far-fetched. It's probably not happening, but I'm just thinking, like, hmm. I mean, that was where my mind did go when they announced this. I was like, they don't have a lot of time to build this. We're in the middle of a big tournament, big cup, and there's not a lot of shows between now and those two big shows. How are they going to build a really compelling narrative that actually works? What if they did go spectacle route? What if they did bring in, like, John Moxley again? Or, you know, Chris Jericho or somebody like that. I don't know, you know? Yeah, I think they got to pull out all the big guns here. But they, I don't, I mean, they, they probably won't, though. <laughs> they, I, they're probably going to spread themselves too thin and try to just do it on their own. Yeah. Uh, Dom Homie also asked, with New Japan running Yokohama Stadium and with Yokohama being the hometown of Minoru Suzuki, what are your thoughts on Suzuki fighting for the IWGB World Heavyweight Championship as a way to help boost attendance? Also thought on New, on New Japan doing an Onita style exploding no rope bar bar death match at the Tokyo, at the Yokohama show as another way to help boost attendance. Yeah, I mean that's why I mentioned his name. I thought you know outdoor stadium, uh, exploding bar bar death match. <laughs> yeah, you know uh, that exists, uh, and you know it's something we talked about. It's not that far fetched because we were talking about it for Jingu. Um, who who would be involved in it? How would it happen? You know. Uh, my vote is KOPW. <laughs> get, get Yano in there. I don't. Oh <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm all for um, Suzu- like. Here's the thing: I want Suzuki to be the IWGP champion. <laughs> I'm, I, listen, this is 2021. It's the year of the olds, right? Biden olds on top. Yeah, Muto olds. You know, <laughs> Junakiyama olds riding on top. You know, Minoru Suzuki at this point right now is the second most failing challenger for the IWGP title just behind Goto. And if he challenges and loses again, I think he ties him and they're both leading as like the the most failingest challengers who've never won the title ever. So, you know, I would love for him to win it. 
And also, here's another thing that we haven't talked about. It's like, how does this affect all those, like, you know, for instance, people want to talk about the Grand Slam championships. Well, it's like, how do, unifying these titles, how does that change Right, how do you? Yeah, how can you get the Grand Slam now? Yeah, yeah. What is the Grand Slam? Do you do you retroactively go back and like count all the guys that had the never title as being like a number two belt now? Like, it doesn't make sense. And then also you talk about like guys that have won the the big three in all the different champion uh, different big companies, and it's like, but now there's a big you know a different big belt in New Japan. I don't think anyone ever expected, <laughs> right? The grandest prize in Japan to just kind of vamoose. So <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, I I wouldn't be opposed to, especially if it was Abushi and Suzuki. Suzuki, that would yeah, that would be awesome. I know I'm not saying that would be the biggest draw, but you know it is his hometown, and if it was like the pitch was like this is his last shot, it, coming off that really fantastic G1 match they had, I'm sure that would be like incredible. Yeah, and I think that that, that match could be easily built up and have a lot of story element behind it. Yeah, I don't know if New Japan wants to do another exploding barbed wire death match, like coming hot off the heels of <laughs> AEW's, you know, kind of embarrassment and disappointment. So uh, I, I I don't know if they should go that route, but they've done them in the past. They've been wa- very successful when Onita was doing them in the company. Uh, but I think you need the right guy and the right reason and narrative to kind of just do it. I don't think you should just do it just to to pop a you know pop a an attendance number Right Well let's move on now We have some New Japan Cup matches to Talk about what happened The last couple of days here So uh, starting on March 6th uh, She'll open up with some Undercard matches We had the Bullet Club team Of Chase Owens Jay White And Taiji Ishimori Defeating David Finley Toa Hanare And Yuya Mora Then we had the United Empire Great Okonjif Cobb Will Ospreay Defeating the LIJ team Of Bushi Sonata And Tetsuya Naito which brings us to our first New Japan Cup match of this show, which was Minoru Suzuki defeating Tomioka Hanma in a banger. Yeah, this really was a banger. 14 minutes, 54 seconds. Um, I, I was just so taken back at how violent this match. I mean, if, if you know the history of these two guys and you know um, you know the background of, of both of them, this wouldn't surprise you. But the thing is, Hanma really hasn't been able to kind of go on this level for a long time. Now, it does help that Suzuki kind of has framed a certain type of old man match that really just hinges on a lot of strikes, you know, a lot of rope running. There's not too many high spots. There's not too many intricate, you know, chain wrestling, grappling moves. It's just very much, you know, a hoss fight sort of sort of uh, situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of just old school wrestling, you know, guys going for Kokeshi's moving out of the way, going for big moves, you know, dips, dodges, dives. Um, and it, it reminded me a lot of the first round match that Nagata and Suzuki had last year. Um, by far, I think this is Tom- Tomaki Hanma's best match he's had since he returned from injury. Um, and it's definitely the best match he's had since... The great match he had in the New Japan Cup last year with, uh, uh, with uh, who did he wrestle? Uh, Hiromu. With, yeah, with Hiromu. God, what's wrong with me? But yeah, this match was awesome. I love this match. Very hard hitting, like you mentioned, just slapping each other. And they they work to uh, Hanma's strength here. Like you yes. know, Hanma can't really move around all that well, and he didn't have to in this match. They just stood up, 
and struck each other, struck each other, and yeah, very hard hitting, very violent, and really just kind of took the fight to Suzuki. And yeah, when I mentioned those movements that I was referring to, a lot of that was on Suzuki's side. So it was a lot of like Hanma setting up the Kokashi, setting up big moves, and and Suzuki sort of uh, using his agility and and speed to kind of get out of a lot of those bad situations. Yeah, pretty much just kind of being in the right spots for Hanuma, for Hanuma to be able to kind of hit his uh, big maneuvers there. And then there was a great near fall ending towards the end where Suzuki's going for the gotch. Uh, and then Hanuma kind of rolls out and does this kind of cradle roll-up thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I just pissed Suzuki off and got up and killed him with elbows and hit the gotch, and I got the win here. Yeah, this was awesome. This is what I want out of the out of the New Japan Cup. Um, this was really great for Hanma. He he caught he cut an awesome promo post match where he just was like, "Damn it, I can't believe I let this happen." And he was just he was crying like actual tears. I I can imagine that maybe they were emotional tears of like pride because he was able to go out there and perform on that level once again. And you know it's been a long time since that happened, but you know he really sold it as dejection and. It was, it was awesome, and then you know Suzuki coming out in the in the back just being a dick and just you know talking about like how he beat the piss out of Hama basically. Yeah, <laughs> and he uh, did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, they were they were slapped. There was a great photo, a still oh. shot of him slapping Hama and Hama's face just being all over the place. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Uh, before we continue with this show, I realized I I skipped the March fifth show. Which yeah, was, I, I was thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense. I feel like we. Uh, had more matches before I saw this one. Yes. Yeah, so uh, real quick, jumping back to March fifth. Uh, so we had Suzuki, Saber, and Doki taking on. Uh, they defeated Your More Gabriel Kid and Hanma. Evil Chase Owen, Jujiro, and Taiji defeating Tiger Mask, Tanahashi, Yoshihashi, and David Finley. Great the United Empire, Great Okan, Osprey, and Ka defeating Master Wato, Soshi Kojima, and Hiroshi Tenzon. Um, then the New Japan Cup match uh, for this night, we had Toriyano defeating Bad Luck Fale via countout. So, essentially, this was your typical Yano-Fale match where Yano's trying to outrun Fale. He's trying to buy, slam Fale, um, and Fale just trying to you know catch Yano and overpower him, uh, which leading to uh, Fale getting the tape out, trying to, to get the countout and, and tape. Yano to the, the post, but yeah. As much as I enjoyed the t- uh, the Texas YTR strap match between uh, Chase Owens and Yano, uh, I did not really enjoy this match. I've seen uh, quite a few Yano and um, excuse me, um, Folly matches over the years, and I I believe even like in the past couple years we've seen these two in the New Japan Cup, and Yano keeps beating this guy. And like I just kind of was this this was something else that hurt my bracket because I was really just thinking like uh you know, Folly's been gone. They brought him back into the country. He lost he dropped more weight. He's like, you know, I don't know if you've seen him on like Instagram and Twitter, but he's like doing all these inspirational like posts and everything. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, maybe it's time for him to uh to get the big win. Uh unfortunately he broke the uh the KOPW trophy. Fortunately, as I've mentioned, they got like you know boxes and boxes, boxes of them shits. <laughs> but uh, this match was exactly what you would have expected out of these two by the numbers. I wasn't really that entertained. 
And the finish was fine. The finish did make me kind of laugh. Yeah, I popped at the finish because it's funny, but at the same time, I was just like, God, like, Folly's a fucking idiot. Like, you know, he, he had this dude beat, and then he r- runs into the fucking ropes. Uh, one thing I didn't like is, like, okay, I'm, I'm not totally opposed to the idea that the outside is a sort of anything goes area and then in the ring is where you know uh disqualifications can happen but i think there needs to be a fine line there and kicking a dude in the nads right in front of the referee on the outside that should be a dq that should be a dq and like literally i don't i I don't know who it was but i think it was red shoes like watched him fucking do it and is like still doing the count it's like no no like what the fuck (laughs) i also kind of think if you tape a guy up like that the referee should like not right make that admissible foreign object yeah it's a fucking foreign object but yeah he uh he taped yano's hands around the post but yano was able to kick fale into the post and was able to swivel back under the ring to break the count even though his hands are tied and yano gets to win uh via count out here eliminates fale from the first round um, and the main event of this night, also in first round action, we had Tai Chi uh, being defeated by Hiroki Goto. Another really, really good match. Yeah, I feel a lot of people kind of being down on this match. And I, I think it's because it did kind of start off kind of slow, um, kind of a slow pace. We saw more of maybe a little bit of the old Tai Chi kind of slower pace, a little bit more methodical, uh, but then things definitely picked up towards the middle and end here. And, you know, the, the pants came off, and there was a lot of great strikes, a lot of great sequences here. Yeah, I mean, this we've seen these two guys lock it up many times, especially uh, a couple years ago during their feud for the Never title. Um, and this was truly one of those 50-50 sort of pick em situations. You didn't know who was going to come out uh, winning. Um, because either one was plausible. You kind of knew that neither one of them, given who they're facing, the winner is going to fight either uh, Okada or Shingo, that there's there's no hope for either one of them. But that kind of, and, you know, with that being the case, I mean, either one could have easily gone through. Right. So, yeah, uh, it was hard to really kind of gauge what was going to happen here. I thought the match was awesome. They had a lot of really, really great near falls at the end, especially that's something Tai Chi has been good at for years. It's just like getting the most out of these near falls. Big, you know, the all, he's got a he's got an arsenal of moves that he doesn't win with, but that are all really believable. Like the Gato clutch is like I think one of the greatest, one of his greatest near fall moves. Like every time he locks it in, I'm like, that could be it. It makes me like want to use it. <laughs> it. It's dope. You should use it. Yeah, uh, the Gato clutch when he hits people with the. The last ride, the super kick, the uh, dangerous backdrop yeah, driver, the dangerous backdrop driver. Like um, we've been talking about how great Tai Chi is for years, and like this axe mat- boomba, yeah, the axe bomber, uh, and they went out there and um, had a, a match that was devoid of shenanigans. It was really a sportsman's match, and it, it was really great. Um, I don't know if I would go quite as high as the Suzuki. Um, Hama match, but it wasn't far off. I mean, I want four stars flat on this. I could have gone easily four stars on this. I thought it was really fantastic, and I thought it was fitting as a main event for the New Japan Cup. Yeah, and uh, Goto, he, you know, pulled, um, maybe not so much of an upset. It depends on how you view these guys, but, you know, he's a never six-man champ. They've kind of been pushing Tai Chi more, but he gets the win here. GTW puts, uh, hits the GTW for near fall, then he hits the GTR. And gets yeah, and I think here. the GTW was like a reversal 
uh, out of something. So like they, yeah, Tai Chi was going for a buzzsaw kick. And yeah, he, he caught that, turned it into GTW. Yeah, it was really the the finish kind of just came swiftly and quickly, and it was a great match. Yeah. Uh, so now moving back to March sixth, uh, the semi main event of the evening was Kenta defeating Juice Robinson. This match was fine. Um, I, I felt like it kind of underperformed what I would hoped for, and that's something I find myself saying quite often when it comes to Juice Robinson and Kenta matches in general. So when I saw the matchup between the two of them, I mean, I kind of almost forgot that they were supposed to be in the Tokyo Dome against one another. And that right. that's sort of like one of the big narratives here is that like this is to make up for the fact that Juice's orbital bone was broken. That was the big story of the match, though, is early on Kenta used the ring bell to attack that orbital bone and it stayed in play for the rest of the, the remainder of the, the bout. Yeah, this was definitely more of a storytelling, quote, you know, body part match where all of Kenta's offense was towards that overbone, you know, stomping on it, grinding it with cross faces, working submission holes, attempting the game over, doing knee strikes, you know, strikes to the face. Uh, that was the object there. And it was just kind of, it was a, they're telling a story, you know, Juice is not 100%, you know, ready yet. And then Kenta, like you mentioned, used the ring bell also to get the advantage there on that, on that overbone and just, Focus the attack on there, and then at the end of the match, he got uh, Juice into the the game over submission there, and had no choice but to tap out. Yeah, so I mean, um, fine fine match, fine story. I was very glad though because I've been wanting Kenta versus Suzuki for years now, and it's finally happening again after all this time. So, I mean, I I can't really complain. Um, I'm I'm looking forward. It looks like. Uh, Juice has been putting in a lot of hard work, though. So I am optimistically happy. I mean, there was a time where I was a big, big, big supporter of Juice, and I'd like to see him like kind of return to form and even go beyond where he was, you know, previously. But uh, on this night was Kenta. Yeah. And then the main event of this evening was the Dragon Shingo Takagi defeating Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I thought this match was awesome. I think these guys have great chemistry. Uh, definitely a lot of play off of their G1 match. You know, uh, in the G1 match, Shingo passed out to the, the money clip, and Officer Hirokata was getting that money clip in and had a similar spot there where, where Shingo was kind of trapped in the middle in the money clip but fought back out of it. Um, yeah, just a stellar matchup here between these guys. Yeah, Shingo did an incredible job where, like, he was out. Like, he was literally, like, going out, and he's just, like, laying there, and he's not far from the rope, but he's, like... He's out, so his leg isn't even extended. So it just kind of creates that imagery that he is far away. Mm-hmm. And then, like right before the referee, right before Red Shoes is gonna step in, he like, like pops two, comes to and just fucking gets, <laughs> gets his, his foot, foot on, on the, the rope. Yes. And like I was like, dude, I'm I'm gonna definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that was really great. You know, the the thing is, um, I've been notable for not being as high on the G1 match as others, but I've always said that the G1 match was really fantastic. I found this match to not really be even that far off from where I thought the G1 match was, but for whatever reason, this this match isn't getting as much high praise. I, I'm noticing there doesn't seem to be as much uh, excitement or even discussion about the New Japan Cup this year, and I don't know if it's because there's just too many shows happening all at one time, and they're not. there's not enough time for the events to ruminate, or if it's just not in the Western zeitgeist as much as it has been the past, especially like with uh, 
this all happening right around the same time as the big AEW show and some of the other big news with WWE and stuff like that. Right. But um, I, I thought that this match was awesome. In fact, I would go as far as to say this so far was my favorite New Japan Cup night given, you know, the high quality of the top three matches on top. And this this match blew me away. I thought it was really, really awesome. I'm probably like, I don't know, four and a quarter, four and a half. Probably four and a half. Yeah, I'm four and a half on it. I agree with you. This was uh, the best overall New Japan Cup night with these uh, three bangers here. Great match. You had uh, Shingo hitting a Rainmaker on Okada. Was a, that was a, that was an awesome moment. Yeah. And then uh, just, just the finish was incredible here. Yeah. Where if Okada, he's going for... Uh, He's going for the Rainmaker, uh, but Shingo ducks it and gets it into the last of the dragon. Boom. One, two, three. Shingo gets his uh, win back from the G1 and beats Okada. And the, there was an interesting part of the narrative where he kept trying to get the last of the dragon. And the last of the dragon setup isn't too different from, say, like the one-winged angel. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was kind of worked in a similar sense to the way that Okada and Kenny used to do their matches. And... um. Shingo just kept getting him up on his shoulders, but Okada just kept having an answer, having a counter. And so it really built up my anticipation. And, um, you know, Okada did try to rely on the the money clip earlier in the match, like you mentioned, because that's how he beat him in the G1. Mm-hmm. And on this occasion, he, he had to abandon that game plan because it, uh, Shingo was prepared and he wasn't going to go out. And then he had to resort to a Rainmaker. So... Really? And then Shingo had the answer for the Rainmaker counters, too, because he, yes. he countered one Rainmaker with the uh, Made in Japan. He countered a Rainmaker with a Rainmaker of his own. Then at the end, Another he countered one, he uh, lariated the arm. Right. He had all sorts of, like you said, answers. So it was like a sprint down the stretch for both guys to hit their big move. And, you know, fortunately for Shingo, he just happened to finally get him up and 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 get him down and then beat him with the one, two, three. And like when he got, I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my God, he did it. Yeah. That was a a great moment. A big win for Shingo. And you know, another part of the story, the match, which kind of comes out with the reported injuries, you know, it's been reported that Okada just has uh, two slip discs in his back and he's in in a lot of pain. But you know, a lot of the story was around Okada's back. Shingo was doing a lot of power moves, throwing him into the apron and the barricades um, and the multi-man the night before Okada had his back taped up. And it's kind of a well-known like element that's being played in the story now that Okada has a bad back. So Shingo was working that over. There was a great backbreaker spot in this match as well. Do you think it's an actual bad back or it's a Matt Jackson bad back? <laughs> Honestly, I, 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 dude, I don't know. It's one of those things like is, is Tanahashi really hurt or he's just taking his you know little you know spring vacation kind of thing. And it's like. Trust me, I know. I saw the uh, the Okada documentary. I was on New Japan World, and I I do think you know with the quality that he's put out over the last few years and, and the damage he's done to his body, I do think he's hurting. But I mean, we've seen for a while now that Okada kind of comes up with the tape back, and it kind of fits in to the story of his matches. And I'm like, yeah, I can believe he's hurt, but at the same time, too, I'm, I'm wondering it's just, it's just kind of part of the story of why he's not in the title picture, like he's quote-unquote, dealing with this injury, and that's something that's been holding him back. It's definitely a possibility that it could be a little bit of both worlds. Um, And as you mentioned, he came into this match with no tape back because he didn't want to draw attention in kayfabe to the bullseye target that, you know, Shingo was paying attention to that the night before. This also gives Shingo, like you mentioned, a big win, but there's the um, plausible deniability that Okada 
you know, not that he would say it, but that it rests in the minds of the fans. Right. Could that he didn't beat him at his best. Right. Could Chingo beat a hundred percent Okada? And so that's some of the stuff that this is great storytelling. This is the kind of stuff I really love out of New Japan. Um and I'm excited for what happens down the road. You know, um for all the like pick'em contests and everything like that, uh Kevin Kelly was even throwing some of those stats around. He said like I think it was like sixteen percent of people have Shingo winning the whole thing and like twenty three percent of people that were predicting this is probably for a sport of pro wrestling's overall contest Mm -hmm. had Okada winning. So like, you know, the ramifications of this first round, this is the biggest match in the whole first round because Yeah, this this was the the make or break for brackets. Like I mentioned earlier in the show that this this busts my bracket. I had Okada going to the finals. This is the thing that did not bust my brackets because I still got even though uh, for instance, Okada lo- or um, Naito losing to um, Okan. Okan is a huge, you know, detriment to my bracket. I have Shingo going all the way, and because he won this, I mean, there's a. I just don't. Would, there are certain guys that if they happen, like let's say if it was Yano and he beat Okada, you don't have him go all the way. You know, his story is just beating Okada. I think similar situation with Okan. He doesn't need to go all the way. He beat Naito. That's his big make or break moment, you know? Mm-hmm. But some of the stature of Shingo beating Okada. That's a big deal. He kind of is made and kind of needs Kinda to get to the finals. He yeah. needs to at least get to the finals. And that's the way I have it set to go. So luckily for me, my bracket, I still got the bragging rights to say, you know, I kind of booked Shingo out. Yeah, and I at, think that's what's going to happen. After we did the preview show, like both you and Chris were talking about Osprey Shingo I was like damn I, I, I think that's gonna happen <laughs> And and the funny thing too is like I hadn't looked at Any of it I wanted to be fresh and like I just like kind of like did the math in my head Real quick and I was like well that's probably what's gonna I just looked at the the quadrants and I was like That's probably the way it's gonna shake out Um so yeah uh, but great match. We had we had a lot of questions about this one. Yeah, a lot. Of, it's actually a, a lot of it revolving around Okada's injury. So first from a Reddit user Stephen Rice says, "Can you put into perspective how amazing it is what Okada is doing right now? The man is suffering through a crippling injury and still pulls off an amazing match of Shingo. The man always delivers. His ability to work to the highest level with so many different opponents, no matter the circumstances, makes him an all-time great. One of the greatest there's ever been, and still in his prime." Not many could put on that level of match, even healthy. Where do you rank Okada in the grand scheme of Japanese wrestling? To me, he's already reached the Masawa, Kobashi, Chano, Muto, etc. level. Also, his chemistry with Shingo is just incredible. I really hope he gets some much-needed rest and he can come back in full strength and maybe win the G1. Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I guess some of this kind of depends on what sort of uh, parameters you use to... Gauge or judge but if we were like let's say if we were just going by recorded matches that were you know rated um already right now Kazushiko Kata has more highly rated five and four star matches than any other wrestler in history more than any other Japanese wrestler more than Kenta Kobashi more than Mitsuharu Mizawa, more than all the Musketeers. Now, granted, there's a and more than Tanahashi. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, different time periods are judged differently. You know, I'm sure a lot of the great work that like the Four Pillars did 
didn't always necessarily make tape. You know what I mean? Right. And we live in a very mediated age where like everything that Okada does makes tape, but they weren't at the same level necessarily as he is when they were like 32. <laughs> right. Uh, and he's 33 now. Sorry. So like at 33, they were like in their primes doing amazing work. But um, I do wonder about this back injury. Like what kind you know, we've seen a lot of guys have injuries and sometimes they come back and they're not the same. And sometimes they're able to audible and adjust and become and, and become better because of it, uh, others are not able to, and it, it becomes yeah, a detriment to them. I mean, I, I think of uh, Dalton Castle with his back injury. That that guy's just never been the same since he's come back. And yeah, I, I think it depends. But you look at like Shawn Michaels and how he was able to kind of revitalize his career after he came back. Muto, you know, after he came back, Chono, different people like that. So I think if I think a lot of the great wrestlers are able to kind of figure it out. Plus. Here's the thing. We don't know how serious this is, or it's it's sort of a rumor at this point, you know? Um, I, I think it's a plausible one, but we don't really know the ins and outs of it at all. Right. I mean, you know, David's reporting this is what he, he's been hearing and how he's struggling in the locker room after, you know, before and after the matches. So not, not, not trying to discredit his source, but... I'm not either. But, you know, at the same time, we've seen them work injuries in New Japan Right, and we, and we've seen Dave get worked by injuries yes. before too. Yes, greatly. So, so you know, there's there's a part of me that's like, well, people have been wondering, well, what do we do with Okada? You know, after he dropped the title, what do you do with him? Well, maybe he needs a new narrative. Well, what's the narrative? Bad back. You know, he's good friends with the young bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Calls him up. Hey, hey Matt, man, I, I, need, I need a new idea. Matt's right. like, oh, I got an idea for you. I wore tape on my back for like a year. It made my matches so much better. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> so who knows, man? You don't, we don't really know, you know, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but I'm just saying like, it's a carny business. People right. be working. Right. This, this could be a work. Don't get me wrong. Like I said earlier, I'm sure he has to be hurting in somewhat, it's what this the amount of wear and tear his body's been through in the recent year. Like you mentioned, all those highly rated matches. So I'm sure his body is hurting, but to the point where I mean, he's still going out here putting on these amazing matches. It's like, and with the back being the sole focus point of it, you would think if it was a really serious back injury that maybe they would try and work something else so the back is not being focused on. We'll see. I don't know. Rambo and Slap. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig asked us, he said, uh, with the news that Okada's been dealing with a couple herniated discs, do you think he will remain out of the title picture this year? Well, with all the big shows that have planned, I think you need Okada in some of those main events. Like we mentioned earlier, I think Okada, you can mark you can market Okada challenging for the World Heavyweight title um, as, as a big deal. And so I think you, you're going to need that match for maybe one of the, either stadium or the dome, Dominion, one of these big cards, you're going to have to pull the, the Okada challenging for the world title uh, out of the hat. So I, I do think he will be kind of in and out of the title picture. Maybe not win the title, but I think you, you still need to use him there. I, I agree with you. Um, Dom Homie 101 is asking with the report that Okada is dealing with the back injury. Do you think it's time for him to take a break from the ring and instead make the, you know, instead of uh, potentially making the injury worse? And I think that if it's serious enough, to where it could have long lasting damage and his daily, you know, his day to day life is, ex you know, from like the way it's being 
uh, posed and painted like excruciatingly painful. I, I think he does need to take the time away and, you know, go get himself fixed up so that he can, you know, come back and work. Um, you know, it, it's not the best time, obviously, in the, in a pandemic, but, you know, there never is a best time. Right. Uh, next question here from Radizer Viking Payne. He says, with Okada's back injury and Naito's knee injury, both men must not be feeling good right now. So why haven't the company just forced both men to take the rest off of the tour and to heal up? They're both eliminated already. I mean, I, I've got to imagine that there's a potential that maybe... I mean, there's a lot of scenarios. Maybe they're working out a timeline to where they can safely, uh, and by safely, I mean financially, uh, allow them the time off to go to go away. You know, um, mm. there's also the potential that these injuries aren't as serious as we thought they were, and they've been cleared and they're like okay to go. And maybe they're like working some of this into the stories. Um, there's also the potential that like both the company and the wrestlers themselves don't feel that these injuries are pressing enough to forego the financial obligations that they they're facing in the midst of a pandemic, which might, you know, is not necessarily the way everyone else feels things should be done. But in Japan, that's pretty common for business. And maybe this undercard stuff that they're doing is going to be setting up some of these bigger shows that we're talking about. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of chaos, Versus Lij, Lij versus United Empire. Um, you know, maybe they're just, they're building it. We talk about this Osprey Naito match. You know, maybe in these undercards we're going to see something like that. Kind of seeds planted. Then once the cup is over, you can kind of point back to like, oh yeah, they, they did kind of start you know jawing at each other back on these on these you know undercard shows. Yeah. Um, he also asked. He said, "Let me try to be ahead." With Okada and the money clip, I theorize that the use of the money clip now is to serve two purposes. One, it's a secondary finisher to put lower-level guys down like Osprey's Oscutter or Hiromu's Time Bomb Number 1, thus rehabbing the Rainmaker into the monster finish it once was. Usually it's the other way around. Guys develop a new finisher to put down tougher opponents, but once they move up... Uh, but Okada did the opposite, so it's confusing to see why he's using a move less effective than the Rainmaker... Number two, the move gives Okada a rest hold he can use in matches because he needs it now. Okada may have experimented with the red ink and the Cobra Clutch, but now he's found an even easier move to apply, the dreaded money clip. But Okada has been working at such a high level ever since he came back from excursion, and now all those matches and bumps are starting to take a toll on his body, and he's going through a lot of wear and tear now, like his neck and injury in 2017, his knee injury in 2019, and now his back injury. So if you put that in perspective, I'm fine with the use of the money clip now if it could preserve Okada's body long-term. What are your thoughts? So I know you and I, we've talked about working holes and rest holes, and we've it's a discussion in the group chat that pops up every once in a while, too. And, I, you know, I don't buy into, you know, what he has to do, the money clip, to, to rest. Like, there are ways to do submission holes where you're, you're not doing a lot of work, but you can make it look very painful. Uh, you can you can work the hole. There's different holes you could do that it's not really putting much strain on you, but you can st- it still looks you know more effective and more dangerous. Yeah, I mean my one of my favorite guys to watch work holds. Actually, maybe two of my favorite guys are like Kurt Hennig and um, Nick Bockwinkel, and you know they wouldn't just 
slap a hold on you and sit there and wrench it, you know, and do all that. They would they would do a lot of active defense, you know. So once a guy was in it, they would do things. They would try to fight out of the move, maybe try to work into their own move, maybe try to cradle a guy for a pinfall. They don't get it. Oh, they're back. You know, there'd be a lot of movement, a lot of circling. Uh, it wouldn't just be sitting in a hold, you know. They, uh, they would transition in the holds into other holds that would still work the same body part. There, there, there's a difference between a rest hold and working a hold. You can make the same move dynamic or a slog depending on how you, you work it. And I think we've always said, we've never outright said that the money clip in and of itself as a as a move is a shit move. I don't think it's a shit move. It's set up into getting into it. Yeah, it's the way he sets it up and it's the way they work it. And it's, I don't know, man. Could it be that this is a byproduct of the, fact he has bad back possibly i mean i don't know um my wrestling knowledge isn't that deep but uh i i still i, I still feel like it's a troll man <laughs> i feel like it's a troll like the the crowds die when he does it and it, even even in a covid era where it's hard to gauge what the crowd response even is what's what's getting over what's not getting over you can't really tell but one thing i can tell you that money clip is not fucking over no one likes that shit like, right, the crowds die when he puts it on. Because yeah, exactly because he's doing it, he is resting and kind of killing the momentum. Like, like you get these great like it you know, kills the momentum. Of great matches. sequences of you know lariat counters, and then he locks in the money clip, and it's like, <sighs> yeah. Now there could be some truth to the idea that they're rehabbing the rainmaker. That's yeah, possible. yeah, I do think that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that you know what's funny is like. Uh, Kota Ibushi unveiled like the Kamigoye like I don't know what was that 2018 no it wasn't it was like last, 2019 he brought that shit out for the G1 I'm pretty sure I think so yeah maybe not maybe it might have been 2018 I can't remember but like yeah you know what? it's probably like further back like 2018 because like him and Kenny Omega were doing that together right the wow uh, yeah the uh, what they called golden it. trigger yeah uh but it's like dead now. Like, he's got to hit it, like, three times to, like, put people down, you know, already. Right. Then, like, he's going to have to come up with another new move. <laughs> pull that Phoenix Splash. <laughs> or something. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, anything else on this? I think that pretty much answers all those questions. I think we can move on to the March 7th uh, show. Yep. So, March 7th opened up with the continuing rivalry between Yota Tsuji and Yumura. Tsuji defeated Yumura 6 minutes and 56 seconds. I watched this match. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And we had a question from Mike Payne. He said, how confident are you guys in Mexico taking care of our boy Tsuji and Yumura after what happened to Porco <laughs> I don't. I don't blame CMLL or, or Mexico. I mean, they've got a fantastic track record of producing, you know, great Japanese stars through their excursion system. Um, Tsuji... And Yumura are both talking about potentially going to Mexico on excursion. Uh, also, I mean, Gabe Kidd is talking about being done, like being ready to graduate. So all three guys are like, you know, having that discussion pretty openly. So I, I don't know what's going to happen given, you know, the travel bans and everything, but we'll see. I, I saw this match, thought it was very good. I, I always like when these two guys wrestle. Yeah, can't go wrong with uh, a Suji Yumura match. Obviously, Suji won because he's gearing up for his first round match with Nagata. Right. So then we had Okan and Cobb defeating Kojima and Hanma. 
And then third matchup, we had Tanahashi choose Taguchi and Tohonare, defeating Dick Togo, Evil J. White, and Kenta. Then fourth match, we had Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito, defeating the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, Sho, and Tomohiro Ishii. Then we get to New Japan Cup action in the semi-main event. We had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Gabriel Kidd. 17 minutes, 21 seconds. Um, Possibly my favorite New Japan match of the New Japan Cup this year. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's the single best match, but I mean, it's not far off from that Shingo and Okada match at all. Um, this was just phenomenal. Now, like, you don't often get matches quite like this because not everybody is as adept or um, well-versed in this British style of, of wrestling that these guys were doing. In fact, a lot of what they're doing reminds me a lot of the training that I do um, that I'm learning. And also, I mean, this was like a higher level of what the Young Lion matches are like. I, essentially, this was basically a much a much more skilled, much more time-given, high-level Young Lion match, uh, essentially. And they just went out there, and it was hold-for-hold, counter-for-counter. Um, Zack Sabre looked great. Gabe Kidd looked great. Uh, there was many points early on where I thought Zach was going to put Gabe out, just like he typically would in any other like showcase, you know, young line match. But then they they kept giving it more and more time. He kept getting out, and then towards the end, I mean, some of those uh, false finishes, like I didn't think Gabe Kidd was going to win, but man, they they really like got you close to biting on it. I I thought this was phenomenal. Um, just just so great. Yeah, a lot of great wrestling here. You know, you see Zack Sabre Jr., and there's, there's a reason why he continues to win Best Technical Wrestler in the Observer Awards. The man is just so good. And, you know, it's been a while since we've really seen him in single action here. And working with Gabe Kidd, a guy who, you know, has that kind of U.K. wrestling background and has been starting to pull it out more and more in the last recent months. So this was like a perfect mesh of styles here for both these guys and, like you mentioned, kind of, you know, a lot of it was just basic wrestling, kind of like that, that what you would see in a Young Lion match, but obviously with Sabre in there, kind of more maybe advanced uh, transitions and submissions and holds. And, yeah, this was a really great match, uh, a match to really kind of elevate Gabriel Kidd um, and show what he can do and putting him on that, that level of, you know, technical, you know, masterpiece. And so it's almost a glimpse of, like, what we could see when he returns from an excursion, kind of being on a level of a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, this is probably one of the best performances that I've ever seen a young line have uh, in one of these tournaments. So hats off to Gabe Kidd. Um, really liked it. I loved Zack Sabre uh, post-match, the way he was selling it all, just saying like, you know, oh, I went 17 minutes for the young line. Well, I haven't had a singles match in four months. That was a warm-up for me. I let it, I was playing with him. I was toying with him. <laughs> I was just getting loose. I was getting loose. That was a warm-up. It's like, I can still go. And, like, clearly, he got pushed by Gabe Kidd. Right. But in his heel persona, he wants to say, no, I was in control the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I, I created this situation. I was just, that was a, that was a sparring match. Yeah, that's a warm-up for me. But it wasn't a warm-up. Like, this was a war. It was yeah, really was, awesome. Back and forth. Yeah, a lot of great strikes and submissions. Um, towards the end here, Sabre, he locks in the triangle armbar. To get the win and uh, tap out Gabriel Kidd. 
Yes. And I liked that because um, we've seen him beat guys like Ishii and um, one of the War Raiders in the past with it, but he doesn't bust that out all the time. So, I mean, it was fitting that he beat a young lion with that move, uh, you know, as opposed to some of the... I don't even know the names of, of the finishers that, like, Zack Sabre uses. To All his weird British song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so a great matchup here. Then the main event of the evening. Rambo and Slam Pig Ass. Oh, yeah, I missed he, that. He uh, said, Gabe Kidd and ZSJ was amazing. Can you think of a better performance from a young lion in a big tournament in recent years? What do you see in Kidd's immediate... Uh, what do you see for Kid immediately as the pandemic comes to an end? I'm really impressed with all of his work since he ended up in Japan. Um, I think you, you know, Mora um, had had looked really good in uh, Best of Super Juniors. Uh, I'd agree. I thought this was beyond any of those performances. Right, though. yeah. I, I don't know that he was given the opportunity to do quite the same thing, though. Right, he was given like 10-minute kind of shorter matches. I mean, a lot of young lines have looked good in tournaments. Um, I remember Shooter Shooter Amino had a really great match with Tanahashi in the New Japan Cup a couple years back. Yep. Um, I mean, there, there's been a lot of guys that have... Ren Narita had some great performances in the Super Juniors, but, like, for a single match, this has probably been the best one. Yeah. I mean, very. it's not very often we're talking about four stars or four stars plus for a young lion. Right, yeah. So this was definitely a big, like, feather in the cap here for Gabriel Kidd. And Zack Sabre. Yeah. But, you know, it's not really fair because Gabe Kidd was, I mean, Gabe Kidd's not really a young lion. Right. He was a full-on, you know, trained UK wrestler and kind of had to rebuild and start from scratch. Yeah, he wrestled extensively on the on the European indies, you know, for years and years and years before he came over. So, I mean, he's working from a different base than most lions, quote-unquote. He's closer to, like, Juice, but, like, when Juice joined the the dojo, but he's even beyond that. Right, yeah. So the main event, uh, the, the battle between the, the Empire and Tenkoji continued here in this first-round match main event as Will Ospreay defeated Hiroshi Tenzon 13 minutes and 37 seconds. Um, we're, we're seeing the uh, the return of the Mongolian chop. They have completely... Not, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that either. They completely threw the stipulation away. Uh, essentially just saying, you know, the steps don't matter. Like, why was, what was the point of even doing that step if they weren't going to keep it keep it up? Uh, to bamboozle us? To, <laughs> to get us to invest in a match? Right, we spent weeks analyzing, oh, yeah, this is going to be a way to, you know, get Okan over, get him heat when he does the Mongolian chop. Well, what happened is, like, Tenzon probably was like, I don't fucking like this. I'm, <laughs> I want him back. <laughs> and then, like, they were like, well, I guess nothing could happen if we did it. And they're like, all right, we're going to do it. All right. <laughs> like fuck Nothing Yeah it's stupid Yeah so yeah The, the chops are back uh, Not a fan of that But overall I thought this was a, a pretty good match Considering where Tenzon is In his career And also he's working Osprey who, Who's one of the best And it was kind of similar To the, the Hanuman Suzuki Not quite at that level But Osprey was kind of In the right places For Tenzon Kind of work, working Working around Tenzon Every year Tenzon is asked to show up for the New Japan Cup and really perform, and he does. I mean, to the best of his abilities. Uh, there was even a few, like, there was one moment he gave the TTD. Yes, yeah. And it, it looked real rough, and I was like, God, if I was Osprey and I had this much riding on my, like, 
career. I don't know if I'd let Tenzon give me that move because <laughs> it looked rough, but um, the match was fine. I, I saw some people like really talking about, especially Dave Meltzer, but some other people being like, oh, I mean, Will carried him, you know? And I'm like, to what? A three and a half star match? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. Like, it's not that great. I'm not trying to bury Will. Will's great. I think Tenzon's fine. But I mean, I think Tenzon's just capped at a level to like, I don't care who it is. Like, he's not going to wrestle beyond this level anymore, you know? Right. And this was fine. I thought it was a good little match. I didn't think that, uh, one thing I did notice with this crowd, crowd was super empty for most of the show and then filled up for the last two matches. So like, there was definitely interest in these last couple matches, but for the undercard, there were like <laughs> there wasn't a lot of interest. Yeah. And also, too, I wonder if it's kind of like the earlier start time. I'm not sure if it's still, still doing that and people having like, a harder time getting to there at the beginning of the show. For like commutes and work and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, um, this, I don't know. It was just, I just thought it was goofy when I was hearing Dave be like, I mean, Osprey carried him. And I was like, well, I mean, for instance, I don't think this was that far off from the match he had with, uh, what's his name, um, Ocon from the last tour. Oh, the Ocon Tendon match, yeah. And and that wasn't a blowaway match either. And this wasn't a. Blow- they were both fine. Like yeah. you know what I mean. Like I think Tenzon can go out there, and he can try. And when he tries, like it means a little bit more intensity. It means he's gonna you know, do a diving headbutt and do try a TTD a and try a moonsault and and. But, he, I mean, he's still immobile. He still can't move. And, I mean, he's not far off from where Nakanishi was when Nakanishi retired. So, I mean, it is it is what it is. So, uh, I thought the, the match was inegregious. But it, I, I, I didn't think, like, Will pulled off a miracle here. And people were talking, like, Will pulled this miracle off. And it's no, like, if, it, if this match was, like, four and it, a half. If it was, like, a four-star <laughs> match. Then I'd be like, holy shit. You know, and I'm not saying Will couldn't do that, but that's not what happened. That wasn't the purpose of this match. And it's not what happened either. Right. You know? But yeah, uh, Osprey, he hits the the good old Chris Hero uh, elbow to the back of the head. Storm breaker. That looked vicious. It wasn't, but it looked. I mean, you know, oh, and here's the funny thing. Uh, They're not allowed to slap their thighs over in WWE anymore, but like you can see, for instance, a move like this where you need the thigh slap. Right, to get that loud. To get that loud. Because, bro, you know what? Do you see thigh slaps? For super kicks, I do. I never see them. I'm always paying attention to the other hand. Like, I, I'm I'm a, like, a magician who does, like, you know, the, what what's it called? Misdirection? Yeah, slide of the hand. Slide of the hand? Yeah. I'm, I must be the biggest sucker because I'm always following the hand. <laughs> that, I always see the strike, and then I hear the, like, you know, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I took a I took an ex to an NXT show, and she's like, they're all slapping their legs. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, how do you, when? when? <laughs> and I knew it happened, but I never see it. I right. never, I never see it. other the, stuff, I really don't see it, but super kicks, I, I definitely see it. There are other times where other body parts are slapped that I'm becoming keenly aware of because of my training. Mm-hmm. That, like, no one talks about. That I know about now. That, like, you know, other people don't know about. It's <laughs> kind of cool. But, you know, yeah, it's just funny. Like, you know, slap stuff. It's like, it's been 50 years in wrestling. How do you think that the sounds get produced safely? You know, you want these guys to fucking cock each other? Like, <laughs> the hell? Oh, man. 
But yeah, so Osprey. The, the, the Osprey is great, man. That that elbow was awesome. Yeah, the the rolling elbow. I I was surprised. I don't know. I just I didn't think he was gonna give tens on the uh, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. Yeah. He got him up, and I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> doing it. You you gonna take this bump, old man? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Osprey gets the win there. Advance, so he'll face Zack Saber Jr. in the next round. Get a rematch of their little series they had in. Uh, 2019. So, yes. What was that? What was that? 2020. It was last year, man. Man, it was last year. Dude, 2020 was. It was pre pandemic. Yeah, that's why, like, pre pandemic, I feel like it was 2019. Everything was 2019. Uh, so far, right now, based on the projections, that's my most anticipated second round match. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it probably, the only other match that will probably rival it is maybe Tanahashi and Jay White. But I think I'm most excited about this match. I mean, Shingo and Goto. Nope. They, they. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about quite a few matches. Cobb and Evil. Oh, I'm pro- that's probably going to suck. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's like, I. you know what happens is I think about Evil from before. And I keep thinking like, oh, it could be good. Because if he goes out and he tries the way he used to but then i'm like he's not gonna right dick togo's gonna come out yeah and try and choke him and then i keep i keep working myself into thinking like well you never know he might he might go out there and put in a g1 performance nope anyways uh <laughs> we had a show today march 9th uh to open the show bullet club team fall evil yujiro defeated chaos's yano yoshihashi and young lion yuya amora second match of the night great okan Jeff Cobb and Will Ospreay of the United Empire defeated Gabe Kidd, Toshi Kojima, and Tomoaki Hama. Third match of the night, Finn Juice and Tanahashi and Toa Hanari. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Owens, Gato, Jay White, and Kenta. Fourth match of the night, Goto, Okada, and Sho defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, and Naito. That brings us to our two top two matches of the night, both New Japan Cup round matches. Uh, we opened up with Yuji Nagata versus Yoda Suji. Yeah, and this is was a very good matchup here. You know, we always see Nagata taking on the Young Alliance. Essentially, it was that, but it's a, a, probably a little bit more time, and just um, Suji really kind of taking the fight to Nagata, uh, kind of unloading. There was one part he just unloading those slaps on Nagata. It's a real kind of a strong style matchup there. Throwing the you know the Mount Suji body splash, you know, kind of throwing everything he can at him. Yeah, he's got the body splash, and then he has a new running senton, senton yeah, which is like basically a flip bump. And I was thinking, I was like, I think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like that. It's really really cool what he's doing there. Um, like you said, this is just an amped up version of a dad versus lion match. I I kind of thought it was going to end pretty early especially when the uh, not early but like earlier than it actually did especially when it get him in the Nagata lock two yeah and they're close to the ropes and it seemed like that was going to be the finish and uh Suji fought out of it they continued the match ultimately Nagata put him down with the uh what does he call it yeah the backdrop the uh backdrop driver yeah Pin hold and uh, got the one, two, three. I thought Suji looked very good here. I thought Nagata looked great, and uh, you know Nagata advances. This was high, you know exactly what you expected here. Yeah, and Nagata he, he had a great spinning heel kick before he did the the backdrop hold. Mm, I don't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I didn't pay as much attention on this night just because the 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 crowd wasn't as into it. the The show it overall wasn't as high caliber as some of the other shows, and um. These two matches, I just wasn't as interested in, to be honest with you. Uh, the main event, though, 
was Sonata versus Ishii. And during the preview matches, we had quite a few stare-offs between Ishii and Sonata. And, I mean, when I say stare-offs, that's literally all that happened. It was just these two guys, they were in all these preview matches, and they were just staring hard. Well, I know at the the anniversary show, post-match, they kind of had a little shoving match afterwards. they had a little something. But, I mean, there was, like, for me, this is, like, the least heat of anything. And um, Kevin Kelly tried to inject some life into this on one of the other shows. He said, you know... Are there any two personalities more polar opposite? You've got, you know, the stoic, cool, calm, collected Sonata. And then, you know, Ishii who wears his, you know, emotions on his sleeve. And he's just like a, a you know, a spark plug. But uh, I don't think that, to for me personally, I didn't think that translated well into this match or into this feud or the build. I thought the match was fine. Just fine? You like this match a lot? Dude, I, I do. If Sonata wrestled more like this... I'd be so much more into him. Like this, I, I felt like Sonata was wrestling like Sonata wrestles every time. Uh, I don't know. I I felt like he like took it to a, another level, and like we talk about like wrestling to the level the guys in there with. And I feel like he was kind of he wrestled an Ishii match. Like they were doing the never style of a lot of you know getting up after big moves, a lot of strike exchanges. Um, I, I guess for me, what it was is like Sonata's athletics, what he does in the ring, it's. It's highly impressive. I mean, at no time is this guy not, like, actually physically exerting himself on a high level. I mean, he's doing crazy chain wrestling. He's doing high flying. He's doing large strikes. You know, lots of bumping. I mean, this guy, it's not that he's not animated or anything like that. I mean, most wrestlers couldn't keep up with the pace that he keeps, but... It's the facials, man, and it's the lack of passion in what he's doing. Like, I don't believe most of the things that he's doing. And I don't know. For me, maybe I'd have to rewatch it. This is kind of a long match, though. Um, it just felt the same as it always does for me. I mean, I'm looking at the cage match. 7.91 is the rating, so that's based on 45 votes. They're not far off from what you're saying, so maybe they were just more into it. Maybe it's also because I just knew Sonata's beating Ishii, and the clap crowd possibly could have brought it down for me. Yeah. So there's more people who... who are probably agreeing more more so with you than me. Yeah, I mean, I was like in in a four star range of it, and I thought there was just a lot of great, uh, you know, near falls encounters uh, in this match. A lot of great back and forth between the brain buster and, and the skull end, and just seeing Sonata wrestle more of that never style and kind of fire. Actually, you know, showing some fire, actually firing up after getting taken down with some big moves. They had like a, like a backdrop exchange where they were hitting backdrops and getting right back up and going at each other. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed this, and I, I feel like if Sonata could wrestle more of this pace, more of this style, I think it would do better for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I should pay more attention to this match because, as I mentioned earlier on the show, like I just wasn't feeling this. There's also the chance that, like, I feel fatigued from watching so many shows back to back to back to right. back. You know, uh, we had a one day break, and we're we're right back in it. Um, I did notice, though, that the chain wrestling exchanges at the end were very, very good, you know, constantly going from Skull's End into, you know, there was one moment where, like, Ishii got him all the way up, and it looked like he was about to hit him with the Brain Buster, and I was, like, buying, biting on that, and then Sonata got out of it, and um, ultimately Sonata ended up hitting that uh, moonsault and set it up very beautifully. I mean, the the, the counters and counter exchanges at the end were were great. But uh, I don't know. I just wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> feeling this match, man. And you know what's funny? Usually, when I say that, 
if I go back, I don't usually change my mind on the second <laughs> viewing like, yeah. afterwards. But um, Sonata beat him, which means Sonata's next in line uh, against Nagata. And the winner of that match will face the winner of Zach and uh, Osprey. Osprey. So we're literally down to the bottom quadrant of this tournament. Yeah. And uh, before we move on to just announcing the upcoming matches, we had a question from Ricky over the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland here on the network. What's been your favorite night so far? Uh, my favorite night was easily the evening where we had Shingo and Okada as well as um, Honma against Suzuki. Yeah, that was the Saturday, March 6th uh, show. Yeah, so overall, yeah, I agree with you. That, that was my favorite night too. Um, and then uh, Muzza asked us, uh, he said, how are your brackets going? Mine are already busted. I mean, I'm I'm... 10 and 3 right now and I'm we have three more matches left in this round so that would there's 16 overall yeah so I'll be I'll pro, I believe I'm going to be well you know these these last few ones are tough yeah these yeah the last I would say two out of three are, are toss ups yeah the that quadrant with Finley Owens Yoshihashi and Yujiro could go any way really because they're inconsequential cuz most likely whether it's, and I would actually say whether it's Toa Hanari J or Hiroshi Tanahashi, whoever comes out of that bottom quadrant, part of the quadrant is going to go on. Unless hypothetically, like they want to like, I don't know, push Dave Finley. Like let's, I could see where Dave Finley might beat Toa Hanare. But I think, I don't know. I think Hanare could, would probably beat Ujiro, Yoshihashi or Chase Owens in singles action. Mm, you, you would think, but you would think, but I feel like in this tournament, here's oh, okay. Normally, I would say that's toss up, but if he beat Jay White, yeah, if he beat Jay White, then he if he have. beat Jay White, and then he beat Hiroshi Tanahashi, then he would have to beat those guys. Yeah, then he has to beat literally, actually, all four of them. There, I mean, Dave Finley's the only guy I could maybe give a plausible win over him but that would be like well then why did you have him beat jay and <laughs> tanahashi yeah and and we're talking about like far-fetched scenarios that's probably not happening so the the the, the reality is either jay or tanahashi most likely jay are coming out of that bottom part and n- n- none of those four guys is beating jay white unless something really unless it's a shocker you know right Dave Finley beats finally beats jay white in a new japan cup that'd be crazy <laughs> but um so that's why it's a toss-up. But I feel confident. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I picked Dave Finley and Yujiro. Yeah, I think that's what you picked, yeah. And I feel confident that it's going to go that way, and I feel like I'm going to end the first round 13-3. and three. I have the potential of ending 13-3 and three also, but then, you know, moving on to the later rounds, I'm going to have less of a chance of doing well just because I, I had um, Okada going into my, uh, my finals. Well... I really think Evil is going to beat Jeff Cobb. And I felt like with Night, I had booked Naito to be in that spot. So, um, you know, with, with Naito kind of being the, the guy, I felt like I had a better shot at kind of curbing Evil. Mm. But because it's going to be Okan beating Yano, I don't see them doing... Jeff Cobb against Okan in the infancy of the United Empire. So Evil's definitely getting through to fight Okan. Right. In in the semi in the semifinals. From there, it's anybody's guess. 
But um, I didn't have either of those guys going. Pa- I had Naito going through. So yeah, I had I had Evil going into the semifinals, so. and, and that's that's probably what I should have done. Um, I also picked Jeff Cobb to beat Evil because <laughs> I just I didn't want to see. I was like Naito just made the most sense for me, and I didn't want to see Naito and um, <laughs> Naito and Evil again. So I I had Cobb Naito as like the match. Yeah, I think a, an evil Shingo semifinal makes a ton of sense. I feel very confident about the. Um, I've got Kenta and Shingo in the semifinal. Well, that was that semi or quarter? Quarterfinal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's my quarterfinal. Uh, for the for the bottom left quadrant is uh Shingo and Kenta. So I think Kenta's gonna get past Suzuki. Yeah, I can see that happening. I feel like they're trying to keep the momentum going uh, from from the John Moxley match with him. Yeah, and also probably rehab him a little bit too. Right. Uh, plus, we've seen Shingo and Suzuki so many times. Right, yes. Last year we saw it a lot, yeah. So um, I feel good about that bottom part of my quadrant, but the, the top left, I'm probably fucked. Um, on the top right, I've got Will going through to face Sonata and beating Sonata, and I think that's probably how most people have it. And that's, yeah, that's what I have. That's the way it's looking to to kind of you know pan out. So I feel I feel pretty good there. And then the bottom part, I'm I'm guessing Jay beats um, Dave Finley. Yeah, I, I have I have Jay and Osprey as a semifinal. So based on what we're seeing right now, we're kind of pro- projecting Evil against Shingo for a semifinal on the left side and Will Ospreay against Jay White on the right side. Yeah. And you're talking about, at that point, three heels and one face in Shingo. Right. So maybe it wouldn't really pan out quite that way, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. But that's the way it's looking right now. Yeah, and you could, I mean... You could get Shingo versus Jay or Osprey there, so in the finals. But I mean, yeah, that top left part, I'm I'm kind of screwed on that part of the bracket. But you know, who knows? I mean, I I think I'm still going to end up with Will and Shingo in the finals, which should be a, a great finals. So I kind of hope it is that. So uh, let's run down what we've got upcoming. So March 10th. We have three, and also, I am not a fan of them splitting up all these matches, like, so far out. Like, that's that's been the hard part. Uh, March 10th, Dave Finley and Chase Owens, Yoshihashi versus Yujiro, and then finally, Toa Hanari and Jay White. Winner will face Hiroshi Tanahashi on March 15th. Um, We've kind of gone over our winners. I don't have any big thoughts here, except for, um, you know, I, thought, I think they've done a good job kind of building anticipation on the undercards uh, between Jay White and Toa Hanare. Yeah. Then on March 11th, we have Evil versus Jeff Cobb and the Great Ocon versus Toriano. They uh, ran some angles on some of the previous undercard nights where uh, after Jeff Cobb won his um, deciding match against uh, Kojima, uh, Evil and Gator, or, and uh, Dick Togo started like using the groat wire and choking out Jeff Cobb. So, you know, Jeff Cobb, even though he, it's, it's a heel versus heel match, he's kind of like on a war path to get his hands on Evil at this point. Yeah. Then March 13th, we have Hiroki Goto versus Shingo Takagi and Minoru Suzuki versus Kenta. That looks like to be one of the better nights of... It's only two matches, but I mean, 
Both of those matches should be bangers. Yeah. And then on March 14th, we have Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Yuji Nagata versus Sonata. I think Sonata and Nagata is a foregone conclusion. We just saw a singles match between them on the previous tour, and it wasn't anything special. It was fine. Maybe it's time for Nagata to get that win back. I I wouldn't be opposed to that. Put this man in in the (laughs) Nagata lock. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. Sonata just beat Ishii pretty definitively. So... Um, but Will Ospreay versus Zach, Zach Saber is going to be awesome. Yeah, they always have great matches, and if Will wins, it'll be a big deal because the first time he'll beat Zach in New Japan, he, he beat him in Rev Pro. That's correct. Last year, so that would be a big deal, and kind of the next kind of you know wrinkle in their rivalry. March fifteenth, the winner of Chase Owens and Dave Finley will face the winner of Yoshihashi and Yujiro Takahashi, and then the winner of Jay White and Toa Hinare will fight Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yep, so those will be all the shows that will happen before the next time we record again. So I'll see next week we'll be back to review all those matches. So we're going, oh my God. So two nights, one one day break, and then three nights back-to-back. So, God, that's five <laughs> nights. That's a lot, man. Yeah. The one thing that's nice is because we are kind of skipping the undercards, uh, it makes it sort of easy. But, like, I'm also keeping up with the post-matches, to kind of keep me in the loop with the stories so I kind of have more context. Yeah. So it still takes time. It's a yeah. lot of it's Those post-matches, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't think they take the time, but they're like, you know, like... 25 minutes. Yeah, they're like 30, yeah, 25, 30-minute videos. So let's talk about Friday night, the road to Strong Style Evolve 2021. Uh, Jeremy, I feel confident when I say this. I think this is possibly, maybe even probably... The best night of New Japan Strong I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I watched this uh, show right before we recorded. Yeah, this was a, a solid lineup here on the, this Road to Strong Style Evolved show. Uh, opened up, we had the return of Alex Coughlin, the return of Carl Fredericks, both men out of injuries, and they faced off against their LA Dojo cohorts in Clark Connors and Kevin Knight. Coughlin and Fredericks getting the win here. All four guys looked really, really good here. Uh, Coughlin was really fired up, and these guys are just so good. The wrestling was really, really good here. And, like, these guys are the future. And a lot of people kind of ask, you know, where are the youth? Where are the guys that New Japan is building? Well, the guys are – all four of these guys are right here in this ring, Um, especially, you know, Fredericks, Coughlin, and Connors. You know, Kevin Knight's just kind of starting out there, but – Coughlin, Fredericks, and Connors. Bro, all, all four of them are just so good. Coughlin really showcasing a lot of neck strength, a lot of bridging um, maneuvers, a lot of, like, kind of innovative offense to kind of showcase that. He has no issues with his neck. You know, he's completely rehabbed, and he's back. He cut a really, really great, promo, great yeah. fiery promo about being out for seven months and how he didn't know if he'd ever be able to do this again, and now, you know, he's looking to make his mark, which yeah. is... You know, he awesome. keep coming to watch and support his brothers, but he wear a hat so nobody would see him crying because he wouldn't know if he'd be able to do it again. Yeah, that's that's some real shit. I like <laughs> that. Uh, but these guys, man, I mean, we get a lot of tag team matches in New Japan, but this felt different. The style, the intensity, the the layout of the match. I mean, and it just felt like an opener that made sense, like New Japan yes. wise. Normally, you do see like the young lions kind of going at each other. Instead of kind of these random, you know, Brody King and whoever versus, you know, whoever. 
but but it's kind of made sense. These, these guys, you're investing in them because they're part of the system. Right. The other thing, too, is um, they recently announced that Clark Connors is now graduated. So you got Connors as well as Fredericks both graduated out of this quartet. And then Coughlin and Kevin Knight are still jun- or still Lions. And, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody went out there and just fucking kicked ass. Like, it was awesome. Yeah. And then after that, we had the... Qualifying match up for New Japan Cup USA 2021 as Tom Lawler defeated the DKC in 9 minutes 13 seconds. You know, DKC, uh, never, I haven't been the biggest supporter or fan of his, but um, he's made some strides as he's kind of uh, stepped into this new phase of his career being, you know, a member of the LA Dojo. Uh, but this match was awesome. Tom Lawler is fantastic, and DKC really was able to kind of innovate or like, like sort of uh, just string together a lot more of his like sort of karate and, and mixed martial arts based offense. And that fits right in the roundhouse of like what Tom Lawler does. And um, one thing I liked about the match is like, you thought Tom Lawler was going to eat him up alive. And instead it was sort of like, he couldn't figure this guy out. DKC just kind of unorthodox. And so, yeah, Tom had to kind of, you know, think a little bit more than probably what he thought to. But he, I think he just, like, uh, caught him off guard with his youth and his, like, you know, um, his will and his desire and everything like that. And, like, Tom Waller took him a little lightly and first, yeah. kind of created too many openings. And they, they, this was another hard Hitting match and Lawler was just doing some awesome like suplexes and slams. Yes. There was like one where he could, got him like all oh, the that way. One, that one was fucking scary. Yeah, I was like, he's gonna drop him on his head. And he just fucking slammed him. Yeah. That's one of those things. Like you, you just got to know how to bump. That's yeah. that's the deal. Like, you, I don't think that was something planned. I think it was sort of like uh, improvised in the moment. But he was just like, all right, well, I guess I'm going for the ride. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the end of the match, um, Tom Lawler kept trying to go for the. Rear naked, uh, DKC kept getting out of it. Finally, he got him in it. One, two, three, you know, put him to sleep. And uh, nine minutes, 13 seconds. This match was awesome and uh, made me want to see more of Tom Waller in the in the New Japan Cup. It was really De- great. Definitely. They also got a new layout for the the apron or for the, the canvas and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at that strong logo in the middle of the ring now. Yeah. And then the main event was Leo Rush taking on Rocky Romero. We we had pre pre match uh, hype videos at the start of the the hour. Um, they kind of showed a lot of this on the social media as well, kind of hyping up that this was a generational match between you know the the modern new day school with Leo Rush and then the old school kind of the old guard in Rocky Romero, and that's sort of the story they told is that Rocky was, you know, the more experienced you know, knowledgeable one, whereas Leo Rush was more innovative, maybe more athletic and, and you know, faster. Yeah, and Rocky's saying, you know, if he won a New Japan Cup, he doesn't want to challenge John Moxley. He wants a challenge the, for the junior heavyweight title. I liked that story. Yeah, finally the title that's been eluding him, you know, because he, he won his Black Tiger, but he wants the record books to say Rocky Romero um, as junior champion. So, Oh, you know, speaking of which, I didn't even mention this. Uh, Jay White has been on the post-matches discussing how if it's if all that you have to do to get the titles to be combined is be the champion and simply ask for it then all you have to do uh to get them switched is win the titles and say i want to split these two titles up 
And he keeps saying the reason he wants to do it is because he doesn't want his t- his name and his legacy erased from the record books. Mm. And I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, evil, well, evil also talked about how he's like, well, if all you got to do to create a new belt is just ask for it when I win, I'm going to institute something else. And he is like, and it's going to be completely different. It's not going to be an IWGB title. It's going to be a new something new. So like, wow. Yeah, there's well, a lot of people kind of throwing out their own narratives. But the IWGP doesn't accept everybody's requests. Naito was asking for a year to defend the belt separately. They didn't listen to him. Yeah, they didn't listen to him, and I I thought about that. So <laughs> this man was like, "Can I please, you know, honor these belts and defend them, you know, separately?" And they're like, "Nah, uh, never mind all that. Give that shit over to Bushi." <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had this. It's Leo. not for you, baby. <laughs> This Leo Rush Rocky main event, I thought it was a really good match. Probably Leo Rush's best uh, performance here on Strong. This is his best New Japan match. Yeah, uh, Rocky's just so good, so underrated. And I think we said every time we see him in action, but he's just one of those things that people don't really talk about often. Telly kind of kind of has these moments here, and I, I voted for him as New as New Japan USA MVP last year. He didn't get very many votes, but uh, I was I think I might have. Voted him number one. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, I thought Rocky and Leo had a great match. They went out there, told a great story. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Leo beat him with a cradle. Yeah, they had a sequence at the end where like Rocky had him cradled up, and then Leo Rush reversed into his cradle of his own and got the pin. This is like this whole show is like I don't want to say Inokiism, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not far off from like what his intentions of what he wanted. New Japan in America to be like when he started his dojo. I mean, you, you look at the styles of matches, and I mean, these guys are all incorporating MMA. They're all incorporating the hard-hitting never style. I mean, this is strong style evolved, which is what the, the fucking, you know, tagline of, of the tour is. Um, yeah, this this was awesome. Uh, next week, we got Adrian Quest and Barrett Brown and the, versus the Regal Twins. Uh, second match of the night, New Japan Cup USA qualifier, Hikaleo against Jordan Clearwater, and the main event will be Fred Rosser versus JR Kratos in a qualifier. So it almost sounds like, even though it's an eight-man tournament, it's almost like a 60-man tournament because the qualifiers are basically de facto... Tournament matches. Tournament matches. Um, One thing we did here uh, was reported by Jcast and then confirmed by Dave Meltzer that New Japan has decided not to utilize the Marty scroll footage or have him featured in new Japan, uh, anytime in the near future or for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't even do like a big breakdown of that controversial right. subject. And now it's not happening. Yeah. I had that here in the news and we had a question from uh, Viking pain. It seems like new Japan finally took a stance on Marty. He's no longer going to be involved with the company. I just have to ask, is this the end of Marty scroll? And was this one of the biggest falls from grace a wrestler has ever experienced? Uh, it's possible. I mean, there's been some pretty um, spectacular falls from grace throughout the history of professional wrestling. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Hulk Hogan might be the worst one. Uh, Chris Benoit. Yeah. Just throwing them out there. <laughs> so I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. I struggle to, like, praise the company and be like, Thank- good on you for not utilizing the footage that you taped. <laughs> yeah. Knowing what was happening. I, I told Jeremy, I was like, I kind of think this is what happened. They were like, well, yeah, uh, new Japan, um, USA is going really good. We, we got Marty on the last tapings. They're like, 
you, you got Marty in the last tapings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had him. He did a run in. It was really great. Uh, we're going to use him going forward. We love the, the whoop whoop thing. Yeah, was great. The villain, you know? <laughs> and bring him back to Japan, probably for Super Juniors. Like, you know about Marty, right? Yeah, he's great. What, what about him? <laughs> like, you know about him and, like, you know you know what happened, right, in, in Europe a couple of years ago? No, no. What, what happened? They're like, yeah, fucking 16-year-old girl and the allegations speaking out. And like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, people are mad on Twitter about this. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. All right, well, what, what do we do now? I don't know. Well, we got the tape. I guess we could scrap it. All right, I guess we should do that. <laughs> like, there's there's a chance that maybe, I don't know, who knows if they even fucking knew about it, you know? Yeah. I don't, well, the Observer said that due to outside pressure and complaints from subscribers in New Japan World, the company made a decision not to air any of the Skrull content that was taped at the late January tapings and won't be and he won't be used going forward. Well, we, we didn't, like, discuss it. It wasn't because we're afraid to discuss the issue, but it just didn't fit into the timeline of... Like, by the time that that news dropped, we'd already recorded our show. Right. And then by the time we recorded last week with Chris Samsa, it was, like, already starting to look like it's probably not going to happen. Um, I do think, uh, you know, hats off to Jcast. You know, credit where credit's due. I think that they were one of the few that were, like, really leading that charge and kind of, like, putting some pressure on the company and their fan base. I know their discord has a lot of like discussion about this sort of stuff too. And every, everyone on Twitter. So, you know, um, I think people taking, taking action, um, online, that's a good thing. And I think that the, the fact the company listened is also a good thing, regardless of whether they were going to try to use the guy or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, other things in news, uh, we talked about Okada, the report of his injury. I've got some news. So it looks like, uh, this is a little unrelated, but I guess kind of related. So uh, they just announced on Impact, Scott Demore has announced that Rich Swan and uh, Moose are going to unify, <laughs> unify, <laughs> unify the Impact World and TNA World Heavyweight titles at Sacrifice on Saturday. And then the winner is going to fight Kenny Omega in a title versus title match at Rebellion on April 24th. Mm, so Kenny has become an Impact champion. So Kenny's going to be a triple crown champion. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Impact, uh, Finjuice were victorious on Impact last week and are moving on to challenge for the title. So it will be David Finley and Juice Robinson against the good brothers, Carl Anderson and Doc Giles, at Sacrifice. Yep. So just moving on to some last questions here and then recommended matches. Well, I guess week. one thing I should throw out there, um, there is now on the Tokon Shop Global um, – Merchandise shirts and different merchandise for all of your favorite competitors on NJPW Strong. Uh, it looks like they've also kind of doubled down on several of the guys that are part of the NJPW Strong roster. I don't know if it means they're quote unquote signed or anything like that. But I saw a bunch of them like tweeting out like graphics of them on them. They're putting out banners that had their graphics uh, that kind of like showcases that they're the guys that are featured on the show. I think it's sort of like a good faith sort of thing. So. Um, there was a there was there was a team filthy shirt that I thought was really cool. Um, it, it's I think it's made by the same guy that that dies on guy that we retweet mm, sometime. Who yeah. does the uh, the eight bit like you know wrestling figures? Yeah, um, characters. I think that they, there's a team filthy shirt out there that I saw that was really sweet looking. It had all of their characters done in eight bit. So yeah, check that out and you know free plug, Token Shop 
Global is out there. You can uh, probably get some, uh, you know, get yourself like a, I don't know, Fred Rosser shirt. I Actually, there is a Fred Rosser shirt. Get you a LA Dojo shirt. I, I'm not going to buy that. It just says <laughs> LA Dojo. I can make that. <laughs> I don't like buying shirts that I can literally <laughs> make for, for like nothing, you know? Uh, let's answer these questions. Yep. So uh, Rainbow Slam Peg asks, he said, Evil vs. Naito in exploding bar bar death match, yay or nay? What about if Dick Togo and his groat get blown up at the end? I I, I don't ever want to see Evil versus Naito again, so no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care what the step is. Yeah, no no, no more Evil Naito. Uh, Oscar Rooney asks, he says, So I just noticed that all of LIJ have a darker skin tone. Was that on purpose when putting the team together or just coincidence? It was us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think those boys just like hit the beach and the like and the tan. tanning beds together. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it was a coincidence. Uh, Red user Mr. Bang Pop. He says, "I don't know if you guys caught the Shaq appearance on Dynamite last week, but it popped ratings, and he was surprisingly competent in the ring. He was able to keep the crowd engaged and even delivered a safe power bomb. It made me think Shaq could be a novelty attraction to sell out a low level Corkin show when the pandemic subsides." If you guys had to book two NJPW wrestlers against Shaq and a partner in a tag team match, who would you book? You are not allowed to pick Yano or Fale. We're assuming Shaq can run the ropes, do very basic moves, and work with Gaijin in the locker room to bridge communication gaps. Well, the first thing I'd like to throw out there, Shaq should never be on a low-level anything kind of show, especially not a Cork and Hall show. (laughs) Um, There's literally only one place that you should be booking Shaq if you're New Japan Pro Wrestling. The dome. It's the Tokyo Dome, you know, uh, some stadium. Like he is, um, you know. It's okay. So this this shit's funny. So I, I've mentioned how there's a lot of like egregious stuff on like Facebook, especially in these like New Japan Facebook groups. And I think like the fan base in say like New Japan Reddit is very is, is much deeper, you know, much more knowledgeable, but like mm-hmm. on Facebook it's the wild west. <laughs> and this person was talking shit about AEW, which it's funny because that's like pretty much all I see on those is like people just shitting on AEW cuz they're yeah, I don't know, butt hurt or whatever. Yeah. But one of them were talking about how they're like these people are a joke just like booking celebrities and having you know Exploding barbed wire death matches. That's why I like New Japan. They're, they're sports centric. They're, they're just classic, you know? Uh, they don't do that shit. And like, I just commented on it and I was like, anyone with a deep knowledge of New Japan or Puro would never post this. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this company has had so many freak show and celebrity matches over the, over the years that like people just, modern fans don't know and don't. Right. And they've had. Multiple exploding barbed wire death matches, you know, double hell time bomb death matches. Like they've done, I think, mm, three three of them for sure, off the top of my head. They've right, done there was the one, the first Jingu show they did back in the day. They've done. Um, they were all Onita, Onita and Chono, Onita, Great Nita versus Great Muda, and then they did uh, Onita against. Um, I think it was Choshu. Pretty sure it's Choshu. Might be Tenru. It's hard to hard to know one or the other, but yeah, but yeah, uh, but, but yeah. If we're, if you have Shaq, you don't put him on a cork and halt. The fuck, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you do the dome, right? <laughs> it's a fucking star. 
<laughs> um, or, I, or you do like some big arena, you know, right? Saitama Super Arena or some shit like that. I don't know. I think if I was booking it, I would do Shaq and Moxley against Jay White and Kenta. I don't know about I don't know about this one. It's a hard one to do. Um Okay, I guess I'll go Shaq and Okada. <laughs> no, Shaq and Tanahashi <laughs> against um fuck, I don't know. Uh Will Ospreay and Great Okan. There you go. Yeah, that one's that's fine, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Uh, next few questions here from Viking Payne. He says, "Yo, has gone completely dark on social, on social media. Could this be the beginning of a return and a gimmick change? United heal, United Empire heal, yo." Yeah, someone else did this uh, in the not so, you know, far off past when they kind of made their return. They like went kind of dark on social media. Uh, it also could mean bad things. Yeah, like he's trying to clear some stuff up. I, I was just thinking, like, maybe he's not coming back. Mm. You know? I'm not saying... I'm not trying to throw that evil out in the world, but, I mean, you just never know. Right. Like, maybe maybe his injury is very serious, or maybe something's going on. But uh, more than likely, it probably does signify that he's returning. And there's a possibility it could mean a gimmick change. So, I mean, yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that. He also asked, with Chase Owens continue, continuing to carry the Texas Heavyweight Championship around and calling himself the champion... Do you guys think there would be potential in using it as a secondary title on NJPW Strong to give guys something to chase and to fight for whenever the U.S. title isn't around? I uh, guess. I mean, I don't I don't think so. I honestly, I think this... It's the million-dollar belt. Right, this is... It's the FTR it's, title. It's, it's a gimmick just to get Chase over, give him something to do, you know, add to his character. I do think you could do a storyline where somebody, maybe you get somebody from Texas or somebody that's like... You know, you really you didn't earn that title. I want to beat you for that title. You, you have them challenged, but it's not an official title, so they beat him. But he was like, "Well, it's not it's not sanctioned." It should so. be Jack Stain, <laughs> the last holder of the title. <laughs> I never dropped that title to you, boy. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, he he gets beat, but he never gives the title over because it's not sanctioned or whatever it is. You know, it's it's just a, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a gimmick belt for him to kind of just be like a character piece. You know, something additional to him. Yeah, man. It's the FTR title. It's the million dollar belt. What are some other gimmick titles like that? Um, Doesn't matter. That's that's what. Yeah, it's yeah. Zach Ryder's internet. Right, internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, he also asks, how triggered is Young Boy right now that Stardom's All Star Dream Cinderella outsold New Japan's four and a half anniversary? Are Tam and Julia bigger stars than Abushi and Tanahashi? Is it time to open the real Forbidden Door and bring women into New Japan? I think a stardom NJPW crossover wouldn't have any dud pairings like with NJPW slash AEW. It would be far more explosive than any NJPW AEW matches. Old man Christian couldn't get interruption from the crowd, but you can get Mayu Iwitani. Uh, you can bet that Mayu Iwitani would get an earth-shattering boom inside the arena whenever she shows up. The fireworks would be insane. That's not true. It's <laughs> <laughs> not true. Um... <laughs> I'd be fine with it, but, like, come on. Let's be real here. Mayu Iwatani is going to get earth-shattering Road Warrior-level pop from a New Japan audience? That's not happening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The same way how, like, 
I don't know. I mean, most big star. Okay, most big stars in New Japan are probably it's the number one company. So yes, if if they showed up in a stardom arena, probably be a big deal. But it wouldn't be as big of a deal, I don't think, as you'd like imagine it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like Liger shows up at those shows and does commentary. Like no one's fucking like you know freaking out over that shit. You know? Right. It, they're different audiences now. Do do I do agree that there's less barrier of entry for the fans because they're both domestic products to them, you know, versus AEW. I don't know how accessible AEW is in Japan. I don't know what the visibility is, what TV or, you know, social media they're on or whatever. So, but at the same time, a lot of, I mean, so many of the guys in AEW wrestled in Japan and are well-known. Right, Kenny, the Bucks, Jericho, Mox, Archer. Also, when you say open the forbidden door, I mean, here's the thing. Women in New Japan, I'm cool with it. We've talked about it on the show. It's happened many times in the past. Do I think it could be like an untapped market? Like, is there a market for it? I do think there is. Do I think that they should work together and do shows together? Yes, and I think in America, you're going to definitely see that once things calm down you know going forward i think it's for sure happening here but in japan i mean he's he's saying that there wouldn't be any dud matches well what do you mean because when you're talking about aw versus new japan you're actually talking about the wrestlers fighting each other right when you're talking about stardom in new japan you're talking about them just having their own matches on a co-promoted show you're not going to see Jungle versus Ishii. <laughs> okay? It's just not happening. You're not going to get Mayu versus Okada? Yeah, there's not going to be a Mayu and Okada versus uh, Julia and Jay White. Like, that's not <laughs> happening. So what are we really talking about here, you know? Yeah, I think most of it's kind of a troll question just because of the, the attendance thing. I, I'm not triggered about the attendance. I don't go. I mean, bro, it's 300. It's 300. It's not a big deal. And, like, I... I'd be perfectly fine. I think it's, I think it, that like women's wrestling needs to be a much bigger deal and it needs to be focused on. And I would be super stoked if it ever got anywhere near the level it was in the nineties or the eighties. And it's not, let's be clear, but they're, they're making strides. I mean, they're growing exponentially with the stardom brand, especially since Bushiroad took over. So it's great. It's, it's awesome. And I'm all for it. And like, would I be mad if stardom became bigger than New Japan, no, I don't give a fuck. Do you know what I care about? I care about New Japan having bangers and great storytelling and good wrestling. I don't care about what anybody else does. This is the product that I like, and I just want them to succeed and keep keep going. I don't care if, like, AEW or WWE is bigger than them because that doesn't affect me in any well, uh, in any way, you I, know what I mean. I think he was asking more money starting to, to you know, go for your, your gimmick of uh, not liking women's wrestling. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not like it's not real though. <laughs> <laughs> I do like women's wrestling, you know. Like sometimes, <laughs> I like it when it's better when when it's better than the men's wrestling or as good. Very often, a lot of times over the years, it's it hasn't been. That's not to say it's not always the case. A lot of Joshi is like fucking incredible. You right. Know? I mean, like. I fucking love, like, you know, Manami Toyota and shit and like Bull that. Nakano. Oh, yeah. And Aja Kong. Yeah. But, 
I think that that part of the uh, the thing where he's like, there'd be a bunch of dead pairings. Like, come on, New Japan AEW. That sounds fucking awesome. Well, I think he was playing off of the being a dud explosive. <gasps> oh, I see. <laughs> Some wordplay. Yes. Uh, but speaking of the explosive, I, I do think Christian is a. I don't think Christian's a good signing for that company. Yeah, I mean. I, I like Christian. I like uh, Christian too. I I was a big fan of when he came over at TNA, um, like this run there. But I do think you know AW has a lot of talented you got you know youth and talented guys that have not been exposed to the mainstream that should be focusing on. Bro, they got a lot of olds. Yeah, Daniels, Jericho, Big Show, Sting, Matt Hardy. <laughs> uh, I know there's more. Now Christian. Uh, now Christian Luther. Oh shit, Luther, <laughs> bro, that's a Billy lot. Gunn. Billy Gunn, yes, you know, like there's like ten dudes that are like mad old from like a really old generation. That like the thing, like I feel like if you want to bring in Christian, then you need to cycle Matt Hardy out or some shit. Like there's right. just too many of them. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of the explosive, uh, Muzza asked, which was worse, Revolution's big explosion or Yoshihashi's loose explosion? What's he talking about? What's what's Yoshiashi's loose explosion? I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Well, I remember he used to be didn't he used to be called like loose explosion or something like that? Uh, maybe, maybe that was his nickname, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, That's a terrible question, Meza. <laughs> he also says, "I've uh, been watching a lot more Noah recently. What are some of your favorite New Japan versus Noah matches?" Uh, I don't know. I've got quite a few. I mean, do you have any that you can think of? Uh, Marafuji. Um, against Devitt. Yep. That whole series is yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Marafuji versus Okada. Yep. Uh, both of those matches are fucking fantastic. Uh, this one's kind of tough, though, because you kind of got to, like, I guess you got to define what you mean when you say Noah versus New Japan. Are you talking about contracted wrestlers? Are you talking about, like, for instance, like, do they have to be working for Noah and New Japan at the time of the match? Are you talking about crossovers specifically, like, between the two companies? Because, um, I mean, like, for instance, I could throw out, like, Kensuke Sasaki and Kenta Kobashi, but, like, Sasaki, like, represented New Japan in a sense, but, like, he wasn't working there when that match happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, like, uh, when, like, Suzuki-Yoon was in Noah, does that count? Because I don't think they were even technically fully contracted by New Japan when that was going on. You know, I think they're right. working for Noah. So that's it, that's the tough part. But uh, with all that being said, uh, the matches you mentioned, I would definitely agree with. Uh, Suzuki versus Sugiyara, when he was during his uh, GHC title reign in Noah in like 2015, that match, I don't know if it counts, but that match fucking rules. Um, Jun Akiyama versus Tenzan, uh, the G1 final that we reviewed here on this show a couple, uh, you know, a while back with a. Uh, Chris, that match rules. Uh, Yuji Nagata versus Kenta Kobashi and Noah when he challenged for the GHC title. Liger versus Kanemaru for the GHC junior title is probably Liger's best Noah match. One of Kanemaru's best matches. It's awesome. Um, Tanahashi and Go Shiozaki had a really good match at Wrestle Kingdom. And I know Gota and Sugiara had two matches, one in 2010 and one in 2012 at the Dome for New Japan. Um, 
Shinsuke Nakamura versus Go Shiozaki in Noah's really great. And then uh, the last one I'd throw out there is like Kenta Kobashi versus Masahiro Chono in mm. Noah. Or no, I'm sorry, in New Japan. Um, that one's at the Dome. It's like from 03. It, you know, it's funny. Dave gave it like three and a half, but it's got like an eight point something on cage match. Mm. I love the match because like Kenta Kobashi just fucks up Chono. <laughs> fucks him up. It's great. Uh, next question is here from Dom Homie 101. It says, with New Japan liking to bring in names like John, uh, Jericho and Moxley, what are your thoughts on New Japan bringing in guys like Sting and Christian Cage? And what would be some ideal matches for both guys in New Japan? <laughs> I don't know if this is a joke because I'm I'm not sure if he's like, is this real or no? I don't know. I would not bring in. Either. I wouldn't bring in either guy. Yeah. I mean, maybe if, if I don't know, because I don't really... I can't imagine anything they're going to do with... I like AEW, okay? And I've pretty much been, like, impressed with most of the things they do, except for this last pay-per-view sucked. Yeah. But uh, I can't think of a single thing that they're going to do with Christian Cage that I care about on any level. So I can't think of anything that I would want to see him do in New Japan at all. Uh, maybe if he gets more established in AEW. For Sting, Sting shouldn't be wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way Sting could do a match in New Japan. The only, like, kind of match that I'd want to see him do in in Japan at all is, like, maybe him and Muto. Uh, like, you know, an, an old-school, like, feel-good, sub-10-minute, like, uh, reunion match that's not, like, that serious, you know? Yeah. That's the only thing I could, like, see see him doing that I'd care about. Yeah, other than that, yeah, no. He's, he's good where he's at. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he says, non-NJPW question, what are you guys' thoughts on the Omega vs. Moxley main event from Revolution and Aftermath? To me, it was a good match of a WrestleCrap ending. Uh, well, I think me and Jeremy probably, I don't know, I think we kind of have similar views, but maybe different opinions a little bit. Like, I, I, I thought the match was well worked, but I wasn't into it at all. Yeah, I, I was into the match. I thought... Bell to bell, it was a great match. I I liked the explosives that were on the ropes. The explosive that were on the outside wasn't that great. And then obviously the ending was just oh god ridiculous. It was embarrassing. It was so it was fucking bad. Awful. They killed they they hurt Mox Kingston. It was just overall... They their whole brand. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, overall, it was not a great pay-per-view. The thing uh, is, like, they could have gotten away with doing this match without having... They didn't advertise the time bomb until, like, a couple days before. Like, we, we had no idea they were doing a time bomb death match. They, that, you know what I mean? Right. The first time I knew they were doing one, for sure, was when Kenny tweeted out the drawing of what they were doing, you know? But, um... I'll grant this aspect of it. The the explosions on the ropes looked okay. Like, they weren't embarrassing completely. But, like, I've seen so many of these matches. And I've seen so many guys, like, take the charges on the ropes. And they're always fine. It is very, you know, quote-unquote safe. Like, yeah, there's some there could be some uh, cosmetic issues. But it's it's pretty minor, man. Really minor. And they set it up so that, like, the barbed wire was on the inside, set away from the ropes, and then far on the outside were the charges. And when they hit the ropes, the charges would go off, and they would blast away from the ropes. So these guys were never getting touched 
by the explosives. Now, I'm not a sadist and saying I want the guys to get hurt, but like if you're going to do the gimmick, you need to do the gimmick. And the gimmick is when you hit the ropes, you get burnt by the charges, even if it's a little bit, but they were so far away that like Kenny Omega's wearing a fucking white shirt and, and there's just no black marks. There's though. no black gunpowder, nothing. There's nothing on it. And then but then he's selling it and he's writhing around on the ground like, oh, I thought they tried their best to work this match similar to like an FMW style like Onita. And I, I appreciated the, the the logic and psychology. And I thought that they went out and tried and really like performed and, you know, they both bladed. They 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 did a hell of a performance, but I thought those charges were horrible. And every time it went off, it was not exciting for me. Maybe for other people it was, but like for people who've ever seen this match, it was like, this sucks, <laughs> you know? And it took me out of it like pretty heavily. It would be like this. It'd be like if if two guys promised that they were going to go out there and have a never style match. And then they're like, not only just missing, but like not hitting each other and you can see it. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. And then they're selling it hard. I was like, fuck, like this sucks. Little did I know how bad the rest of the... Uh, the ending, oh my gosh. Now, here's the thing. I was watching this with uh, Zach Porter, good friend of the show. Shout out to Zach. And, like, when when me and him have both seen a lot of these matches, and I was like, where are the explosives going to come from? Because I, I we kind of have trained eyes. And I was, like, I was like, I can see the charges on the ropes, and I can see a couple pyros around the ring. And I was like, that's not enough. And I was like, that's all they have. And I was like, that's going to shoot up literal fireworks but like these matches when they have time bombs they don't shoot up fireworks they shoot up fire balls that explode orange big with big clouds that engulf the fucking ring when i heard that they were doing it in daily's place and not the the arena i thought that that was like a little bit weird yeah i thought they were gonna do it at the stadium yeah me too and 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 like they tried to blame it on um, some sort of like malfunction. I'm telling you right now, there's no malfunction. The equipment that they had set out there did exactly what that equipment is capable of doing. They did not. Usually, there are giant tins with explosives in it, in it because that's what you need to do this kind of match. Like, you can't have an explosion without actually having an explosion, right? And they 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 went out there and like set off like the kind of like fireworks that you'd get at like the stand on 4th of July. It was bullshit. Oh god, it was so it bad. Was, yeah, it was horrible. It was to say a horrible way to cap off a and pay They didn't view. have to do it. Yeah. You know the thing is though, it's very costly to do the kind of explosions and um, you know, pyrotechnics that are needed for this type of sh- of match. Furthermore, when Onita did these matches, he drew like 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, 70,000 people, outdoor stadiums, big, big, big attendances and arenas. And, you know, you need big gates, million dollar gates to necessitate this kind of match. They didn't have to do this kind of match. I talked about it a few weeks ago on the show and people disagreed with me and I said the story didn't necessitate this. It didn't really kind of logically even really make too much sense why Kenny was even challenging him to this. Right. And then finally, when they did it, they didn't do it. Like, if you're going to do it, you, you got to do it right. Like, that's the one thing you got to ensure if you're going to do it, you do it on a major scale. And they didn't do it on a major scale. And um, I don't know. Maybe part of it was a cost thing. Like, you know, 
Daly's place, I think they had like 12, 1,300 people Yeah, 1,300 people, yeah. I don't know how much they made off the pay-per-view. I'm sure it's a lot, but like, I don't know if that's enough to like, maybe it was a fire marshal, yeah, fire, like fire code, code yeah. sort of thing. But it's like, bro, don't, don't, don't book yourself into this fucking corner when it was unnecessary. Nobody was saying to Tony Khan and AEW, you got to settle this shit in an exploding <laughs> barbed wire death match. That, when they said it, everyone's like, what the fuck? It came out of nowhere. Right. They they set themselves up for failure, and it was a fantastic failure. I mean, right. they, they over-promised and under-delivered. Bro, it was Shockmaster level. It was. It was yeah. bad. And then um, I'm just going to say this. I saw, like, okay, we, we threw a little jab out there at this because it was funny, but, like, I did see, like, some other reputable New Japan Twitter sites and fan sites that were just like, I love it. I love it. I love to see these guys fail. <laughs> I love to hear the booze. Yo, go fuck yourself, dude. Like, all you guys who did that shit, because that's not what this is about. Like, I'm, I'm tired of the fucking, like, complaining and, like, I don't know, man. There's this weird sect of the fan base that, like, I'm just going to address it. Like, they've created these weird fucking false narratives in their minds about this company and that company. And they think, they, right. In order they, to be a true new Japan fan, you have to hate AEW. And I'm not even saying you got to like it, but like, why the fuck would you root against this company? Like, I'm not saying don't take these guys to task for, for that match. Maybe you don't like the booking sometimes or whatever. That's fine. But like, it's the only true alternative we've had to WWE on a major level for the last 20 years new Japan's never going to get to this level because the way they do business and the way that their business model is set up is it's never going to happen. Like we need to face the facts that like, this is the one hope and shot at having a competitive wrestling business industry. And like the way things are going with WWE and them selling all the shit off to third parties and, and stuff. I think when Vince dies, like who knows what the fuck's going to happen there. Right. It's scary. So like, I don't know, man, like, this this hater shit is so played out and so fucking corny. And if you're one of those fucking haters, you are corny as fuck. <laughs> you are the corniest <laughs> ass motherfuckers. Seriously. And like, I'm not even like an AEW mark. I'm just like, dude, come on. Like, this is so fucking corny. You look, it's a bad look. You look silly. Right. It's just, we talk about all the time, like defending a company. Yeah. Don't defend a company. Why Why are you finding your identity identity like, in New Japan? Like, dude, we, we do a New Japan podcast. We've been doing this for over 170 weeks now. We talk, come out here <laughs> three hours breaking this company down. But Sukabayashi's not cutting us a check. We don't identify <laughs> ourselves with New Japan. Like, I'm No. Like, when they do something stupid, we go out, we, we bury it and take them to task. Like, our identity is not wrapped up in this company. Yeah. There's some people out there getting hurt. That need to re reexamine their lives, reexamine their fandom, prioritize some shit. Cause yeah. this doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah, and and like and here's the thing: everyone who thinks they know what happened, you don't fucking know. You know what I mean? There's people that think that they know how the split between the elite guys and and New Japan went down, and and you know what? Where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm sure both sides. Did somewhere in the middle of the truth. Yeah. Like I don't I don't believe this thing where like when I hear Dave and he really tries to spin it in the 
defense of the elite that that's the way it is. But I really don't believe these corny ass New Japan motherfuckers who are like, these guys, they didn't do business the right way. They bamboozled the company. And I'm like, bro, there, there's plenty of evidence that that it, there's like negative on both sides. Very clearly, all you got to do is just follow the breadcrumb trails. But like everyone who thinks they know, you don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. But you know what I do know? I want to see these fucking matches. I want to see these companies work together. I want right. to I want to see a thriving wrestling company. I don't want to see AEW fucking fail. <laughs> and I'm not glad that they put on a shitty product on Sunday night. Yeah, I was very disappointed in that pair of view and yeah, they got a lot of stuff to, to work on going into a double or nothing in May. Yeah, but but then again, they haven't been around for 49 years like New Japan, you right, know. You right. think New Japan has had had some fucking failures? My God, go back and go back and watch fucking Inoki job to Vader and talk about like a failure of a company like that. This company got fucking banned from their spiritual home, <laughs> started a fucking <laughs> riot and shit. <laughs> go watch some Inokiism. Like I've seen some terrible shit from this company over the years, and I'm still like watching it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. That's the corniest shit. I mean, all the Ugh. horrible stuff that WWE did for years until we finally... WWE, you know, yeah, WWE sucks. But, like, yeah. you know, I don't... Uh, carry that same energy, too. Like, you know, it's funny. It's like those that same subsect of fans, they're not doing that shit. They're not like, oh, I'm so... Like, they're not like... <laughs> they're not like, oh, Friday Night Smackdown. Orton was throwing up black blood. Love to see it, you know? Right. They're just, like, butthurt. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't get it. It's so stupid. It is so, it's embarrassing. It is, it's embarrassing if you conduct, if you, if you think that you're an ambassador for this brand and you conduct yourself that way, you are actually a detriment to the fandom of New Japan Pro Wrestling and you're embarrassing. So you should stop doing that shit. <laughs> it's not a good look. It's a bad fucking look. Yeah. You you look like one of those fed defense squad people that will defend whatever anything and whatever any, any and whatever Vince does, you know, and, and doesn't use any logic when they criticize new Japan or AEW. Like that's you, you, you look like a tribalistic jerk. It's stupid. Ugh. <laughs> uh, well, we're getting ready to get to three hours here. So gonna skip the, the, the fight questions this week and uh, get to a recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week, Chris Samson recommended to us to watch uh, Nakamura versus Balak Fale, the uh, New Japan Cup Finals from 2014. I uh, really enjoyed this match. I hadn't seen it in years. Um, rewatching it, you know, it's kind of what you always expect out of a Nakamura versus Fale match. But the the moment that really makes this match is when Fale goes for the grenade. Nakamura. Uh, goes for the uh, for the jumping armbar, and in the midst of that, well, while he's on his back, Fale falls forward and accidentally headbutts him, and his nose just explodes, it's leaking. Yeah, and it's it's very legendary. Like th- this is the one time where you know Nakamura really wore the crim- the crimson mask, and from that point, the match just jumps up in energy. I mean, hard fucking strikes from both guys. But Nakamura just hit, killing this guy with a bombardment of Bombay, Bombay knees. Yeah, destroy this man with knees. And then just fucking took him out. Um, 
also like you know it's it, it was just good to see like Nakamura in his prime again. Dude, yeah, this match made me miss like New Japan Nakamura so much. Like this match was so awesome. It made me miss like Mobile Fale, who like gave right. a shit. Gave yeah. a shit was trying hard too. Yeah, man, it was in great shape. Like Nakamura, so much swag. You know, you had the whole bull club out there that he had to kind of overcome, and they got tossed to the back, and then yeah, overcoming his face being <laughs> exploded and having to to beat Fale is a great kind of David and Goliath story, and just. You know, one of the the better folly matches you'll see out there. I agree. I uh, they had three matches that year. They feuded for the IC title um, throughout that year. I, in my opinion, this is the best match they ever had. Uh, it's one of the better folly matches that folly was ever involved in. And yeah, it was really great seeing Nakamura kind of overcome overcome the obstacles, the numbers game, the you know physical ailment, and just the size of uh, folly and put this man down and win the new Japan cup. And I think afterwards he was the, the only guy that ever challenged for the IC title. Right. Instead yeah. of challenging for the IWGP. Now that's just gone. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I'd go four stars on it. Yeah. That's what I'd go also. Uh, so my pick for recommended match of the week is Hiroki Goto versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from the new Japan cup 2012 finals. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen this, Uh I've seen a lot of the Goto Tanahashi matches. There's one from 2010 that stands out as like truly incredible, like near five stars. I think this one's also up there. I I'd have to watch it. I might not have I might not have ever seen this. Yeah, I was looking at some of the cage match ratings. Looks a very highly rated matchup here. Goto Tanahashi always have like you mentioned great matches, great chemistry. Um, so awesome. Should be a fun one to check out. And that's going to uh, wrap things up for this week's episode of Keeping a Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to review more New Japan Cup action. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting suplex.com. Let's donate. It's going to donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. In the Wrestling Square Circle group, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Square Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, we are I am the Pro Black Guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. You can also check out our Discord server. The link for that's in the show notes. And you can check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have Funnation Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. We have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. The Grave Consequences podcast with Caleb and Maserati, 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, and The Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Don't be a corny New Japan fan. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.